the hell are you trying to do? I'm trying to understand! What the fuck did he want with a snuff belt? Hi, I'm Trevor. And I'm Kyle, and this month we are catching up on Cage. Uh, we've selected four Nicolas Cage movies to talk about uh, over this next month, and the first one we're starting off with is 8mm. So what we did was we we each picked two movies that we wanted to talk about, uh, Nick Cage-wise. I believe this was my choice, 8mm. Uh, yes, it was. Uh, and uh, I chose another one, and we, we chose one that we've seen before and haven't seen in a long time and wanted to see if it holds up. Uh, and then the other one we haven't seen at all. And yeah, um, so effectively each of us picked one we've seen and one that we'd like to see. Yeah. Uh, so to kick things off, Kyle picked eight millimeter. I believe it was from nineteen ninety nine. Correct. Um, both of us have actually seen it, uh, but this is catching up on Cage. Uh, this is just us revisiting the film and hoping to get a refresher on it. Uh, this was directed by Joel Schumacher and written by. And Andrew Kevin Walker, who most of you out there probably know as the writer of Seven. Very uh, much. Which came out only a few years before this, and if you don't recall, was kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big deal. So, Kyle, why is it you picked 8mm? Well, of, I, of all the Cajun films out there, why 8mm? I was thinking about this, and I was like, maybe this was one of those movies I watched with my parents when it came out, 10 years old. Uh, and I just remember pieces of, but I think what happened is, is we started to watch it with our parents and then, um, like 10 minutes into it, they're like, yeah, you boys go into your room. You're not watching this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Uh, I wanted to pick this one because I'm a big fan of the movie Seven. I knew it was the same writer and I remember this movie being very gritty and dark, um, it made like this is the kind of movie you want to just curl up with a, a nice pack of camels and a uh, pot of coffee and sit down and watch because <laughs> it's just dark. <laughs> it's just dark. It, it's, it reminds me kind of a mix between Seven and Payback a little bit, just kind of gritty. Um, well, it, it's kind of interesting in that sense because it is dark. It is gritty. Um, I would argue actually that some of the lighting in it is neither of those things. <laughs> yeah. Um, the tone though and the the setting, like the locations that the film takes place in, are meant to be gritty and grimy. Yeah. Um, but like the the violence and the explicit imagery, only on a couple of occasions gets gets really intense and graphic. Yeah. For the most part, it's implied. Uh, and this is pr- the probably probably the best example of this is when Nicolas Cage is watching the titular eight millimeter film, mm-hmm. and we get snippets of it. Most most of that sequence is just reaction shots of him, so we don't actually see the graphic details of it. But this movie was... Uh, I don't know that it was a troubled production, but both of us did a little bit of research on it, and uh, it's known that uh, the writer walked off the set. <laughs> uh, he was not happy with Joel Schumacher's uh, directing style and uh, interpretation of the content. Um, to the extent that the writer actually disowned the film. Yeah, so, he says he's um, never watched it. Um, <laughs> uh, make of that what you will. Well, this was actually the studio wanted to like water it down a little bit, and Joel Schumacher agreed. So it wasn't just Joel Schumacher like we gotta we gotta cut some of this out. Like, so the sub like the subject matter is really dark, and it it gets a little a little uncomfortable at times. But it makes me wonder. What was the original script like? What 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 was he trying to keep in here? Because there's some, there's some. I mean, there's nonchalantly looking through child pornography at one point. 
Yeah, um, I'm not sure of the details of, of what were, was present in the original script, but a lot of it, I think, may have just been uh, stylistic, like flourishes mm. and things along those lines, like maybe the style of lighting and the set dressings and um, the amount of time devoted to certain characters. Uh, there's, I hate to say it, but there are a lot of flat performances in this movie to the point mm. that it gets almost obnoxious. Uh, Catherine Keener, I love as an actress; she's fantastic, but she is sleepwalking through this it's role. Not, it's not very good. She for was her. given nothing to work with, and she's in more of it than you you like. <laughs> she's just she's in a, more of it than you'd like. She's just in a room with a baby. That's all she does. This she's. I don't think she's ever outside. She is always in a room with a baby. That's all she does. I mean, that would have been kind of cool if, like, she was agoraphobic or, or something. Because that would actually, hey, that would actually lend something to her character, where it's like, that's why she's overly concerned about him all the time. Mm-hmm. That's why she's always calling him. It's because, like, I can't leave home, and you're always gone. So this is really crippling. But this, no, she's she's just she's just wife with baby. That's, yeah. that's her character. <laughs> um, um, it does need to be said, though, that uh, I feel like Maybe one of the reasons Schumacher got so much work in over the, the stretch of his career um, may have been the fact that he was he was likely very good at wrangling producers. Okay. Very probably very good at, at towing the line and doing what was asked of him. You know, delivering the product because like Batman Forever was not quite Batman and Robin in terms of its stylistic presentation, mm-hmm. um, and it made the studio a lot of money which is part of how we ended up with Batman and Robin, was that the studio made tons of money on the previous one, so they're like, oh, well, people like this. Let's give them more of that. So they let him off the leash a little bit, and holy shit, uh, <laughs> um, that's what happens. <laughs> but, shoot, I mean, this film was produced, it was made after Batman and Robin. So af- after the studio was disappointed in him, went in, in a time period in which he was needing a leg up. Mm-hmm. Uh, which would explain why he would take the darkest, grimiest script out there, like the complete polar opposite of Batman. And yeah, Robin. I was just thinking, like, if he had made Batman and Robin now, stylistically, it would be really popular because that neon lighting, you, you and I have been talking about, that neon lighting is really popular right now, and that's all over Batman and Robin. Uh, I want, oh, absolutely. I wanted to get your opinion on this, and one of the one of the things I think that might have been driving um, Andrew Kevin Walker uh, angry was there's a there's a couple of shots I'm I'm almost positive when we meet um uh Peter Stormare's character his mm-hmm. office is in the exact same place where they find uh the I think it's the third victim in 7 I think it's the exact same building you know it does kind of look like it and there's a couple of <laughs> I there, would not be surprised <laughs> there's a couple of shots in here that look like um John Doe's apartment with the black explain explicitly black painted walls that hotel that they're staying at when they go to New York I'm like that looks like that could be in John Doe's uh, apartment basically Um, (laughs) and maybe that was one of the things like Joel Schumacher had just done Batman and Robin I'm pretty sure he turned around and started doing this he might have been trying to make it a little more bright and poppy and he's like did you see seven it's raining the whole time (laughs) like that's not what bright and poppy is not what I want out of this well it's funny because I can't be i'm not positive on this but i seem to recall schumacher having a background in um, production design mm. um, maybe not necessarily production design but i think costumings at the very least mm. um 
And so oftentimes when, when you watch his movies, you'll notice that like set dressings are, there's some attention to detail put towards them. Mm. And I, I always appreciate that. This movie, though, felt kind of half-assed. And it doesn't help that you have Seven to directly compare it to because the production design of Seven mm. is fucking next-level shit. Yeah. Um, I remember reading an article written by the product production designer seven and i guess they had like a heath ledger like joker-esque uh nervous breakdown oh really wor- working on the film because uh the john doe journals and stuff oh like yeah all, all the written materials he did that by hand oh my goodness and i guess doing that t- took a toll <laughs> i can see that and yeah there's a lot of sets and a lot of a lot of set dressings in seven that are meticulously detailed to the extreme whereas this one it all feels kind of haphazard in fact i wrote a note um this is like pages into my fucking notebook here but um shrink wrapped pillars (laughs) (laughs) kyle tell me tell me why why there are shrink wrapped pillars in this i don't know (laughs) what does that add to the production Um, but before we get into the actual film though i had a question for you mm -hmm. um i read on a blu-ray.com Calm, uh, just the other day because, uh, funny enough, this movie actually only recently got a North American Blu-ray release, hmm. um, and apparently has a very good commentary track from Joel, Joel Schumacher that maybe I'd like to listen to. Uh, interesting, yeah. I think Although I, I don't that. care to watch this movie again anytime soon, so maybe not. <laughs> um, but uh, apparently, um, Russell Crowe mm-hmm. was actually supposed to be the the lead actor of this film before Nick Cage was selected by the producers and then Joel Schumacher. Um, that decision, as far as I know, came from the producers and then was and then was agreed upon by the director. But wh- what do you think the film would have been like with, with Russell Crowe as, uh, as Tom Wells? Well, I don't know. I feel like the, the problem... I, I don't think Nick Cage gives a bad performance, uh, but... There's just I think that it's the director is the problem. I think that the subject matter is so dark, and it's probably not something that I, I know. Joel Schumacher's done like kind of darker movies, like The Client. I know it's supposed to be a bit uh, a bit heavy. Um, I think that's the problem. If you were to get, you, I don't. I think David Fincher would be too on the nose. I think that he could make it like he would make it really good but he'd already done seven i mean if you're gonna work with the writer again i could see that i mean the the coen brothers have done it with the guy who wrote no country for old men and uh what was that other one uh he wrote there will be blood i think as well um oh uh karmic mccarthy i, I think that's no good. no no that that's uh he he wrote no country for old men the book mm-hmm. there will be blood i don't know who wrote the screenplay for that though I think, anyway, yeah, um, yeah. I think if it had a, had a different director, they could have made this a bit darker. Um, with Russell Crowe and a, maybe David Fincher, this could be really cool. Um, but there was somebody else who was considered for the role of uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character. I think it was oh. uh, maybe Leo, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Uh, I, th- I feel that Joaquin Phoenix is the best part of this movie. He is. He is absolutely. Oh um, uh, no, no. I like Peter Gandalfini Stormare. Gandalfini and Stormare. I love um, Stormare, but that's that. I'm. Oh, you Stormare mean the holes? Stormare is pretty great. Gandalfini, <laughs> um, 
I feel like none of Gandolfini's lines were in the script. They just let him. They just let him go. He's rarely a pe- like he's arguably a piece of shit in The Sopranos, but he's not a, like a wormy little nasty little shit. Like he's he's a real piece of shit in this movie. Oh, he he revels in it. He's mm-hmm. excellent at it. Um, what was that? Uh, the Mighty. I think he was the the dad in that. Uh, he was terrifying. He's a scary um, dude. Yeah. No. And he gets some mafia kicks in here. I love that. <laughs> I, love, I love watching people deliver mafia kicks to people on the ground. It's, oh, Robert yeah. De Niro is the champion of mafia kickers. Yeah. Because he just looks so uncomfortable no. doing it. He's Joe just like, Pesci. don't want to fuck up my shoes on your face. <laughs> Joe, Joe Pesci is the funniest one doing the kicks in Casino. When he hits the dude with the pin, because his head is like rocking back. Him, <laughs> yeah, him I know kicking exactly. is the funniest thing in that movie. <laughs> yeah, he's putting it all behind those. Those mafia kicks. See, he's he's really kicking the stomach. De Niro's bouncing your head off the floor. That's when well, he's De kicking. Niro looks like he's about to jump over a puddle or something. He's just like kicking or, it down. No, he's got a spider on his his pant leg, and he's just like trying to kick it off. He's like, God damn it! <laughs> Pesci's trying to murder your ass though. <laughs> like he's trying to he's trying to get the corner kick in there. <laughs> uh, I guess we should probably jump in because we, we yeah we should probably talk, talk about. about the fucking movie yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll give a rundown real quick. So Nicolas Cage is a private investigator. Uh, he is a wife and a new baby. And I think he's just getting off a case in Miami uh, when we meet him. And he yeah. goes to a senator. We learn that he's working for a senator. And I'm, I'm sure he's compensated handsomely. And that, he... What? That senator has an aggressive haircut, by the Very way. Very aggressive. She looks like Reminded the, me of the... the receptionist lady in, in uh, the ninth the gate. gate yeah exactly Skunk, what skunk I thought. head. yeah exactly <laughs> um but yeah so he he's a private investigator he's working for some pretty powerful people it looks like and uh he has a wife katherine keener is that her name yeah katherine keener uh and he gets another job with uh from a, a widow a very very wealthy widow um and he's I guess her husband had this tape in his vault, and she wants to know it's a it's a snuff film, and she's wanting to know if it the girl actually died in there. So he's like, "This isn't really my expertise. I'm going to treat it like a missing person case," and leads him on a bunch of twists and turns, uh, going across country twice, a, a few times. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, where does he where does it start out at? Is he in Ohio, Pennsylvania? Uh, Pennsylvania. He's in Pennsylvania, so he's in Pennsylvania, Ohio, back to Pennsylvania. I think back to Ohio, then to L.A., to New York, down to Pennsylvania, then back to L.A., and then back to Pennsylvania. Like he's, back to Pennsylvania. It's like, it's like Brad Pitt in World War Z. Like he's just everywhere. Um, and, yeah. And, and trouble follows him. And trouble follows him. Um, surprisingly so. He's being followed almost immediately when he gets to... Almost immediately. Yeah. Uh, so... It's it's a, there's a twist to it, but it just it didn't make sense in in the movie. Like how why is he being followed already? That's odd. Um, but anyway, so yeah, he where do you want where do you want to start us off at? Do you want to start with? The- uh, well, we can skip over some of the details of like. Uh, let's start when he first meets up with his family. Yeah, because right? there was a detail here that I picked up on, and it's there's a lot of repetition of it, so it's it's worth talking about. Um, so as Kyle said. Um, Actually, our first shots of the movie are just of projector equipment, and then some disembodied someone watching a film through a projector, and then cut to 
Nick Cage at, at Miami International walking in slow mo because this was like prime Nick Cage when he was in Cameron Poe shape. <laughs> uh, so we got to make him look good. He's he's they have him with the shirt off at one point. He's fit. He's still pretty fit. I, I have some comments about that, and we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, as Kyle had said, uh, he's casing somebody in Miami, uh, some gentleman that's at a nightclub, and then uh, this senator that hired him. Uh, he's a PI, by the way. Yep. Uh, to follow this fellow, apparently it's their son-in-law. So the senator was concerned about their daughter, yep. and Cage is apparently gonna ruin a ruin a, a marriage here. <laughs> um, so then we get Nick Cage going home to Catherine Keener and his his baby that he calls Cinderella. Apparently their name is Cindy. Oh, nice. Um, but maybe maybe their birth name is Cinderella though. Um, it's Nick Cage, man. <laughs> yeah, I would possible. not be fucking surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Um, credits are still rolling at this point, but uh, the detail that I was mentioning is that uh, as he's driving up to the house, he flicks a cigarette out the window. And then, uh, by the way, he comes in and without, like, barely saying a word to the to the wife, he, like, immediately goes to the fridge and grabs a beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, this gives you some indication that they've been together a while. Uh, and, and this is pretty routine. The, yeah. This is not unusual for him to be gone for a while and to come home. And uh, you can tell, though, that their relationship is maybe a little bit rocky because she like hugs him and immediately comments that he smells like smoke. And she's like, you're not smoking, are you? And he lies. No, baby, no. He, no, no. I, yeah, I'm around smoke all, all, all the time. time. But it, it's the no, 90s. Baby. Everybody smokes no, everywhere. No, baby. Baby. We'll try, to keep the Nick, we'll, we'll try to keep the Nick Cage impressions at bay, but the, it will be unavoidable. There will be Cage impressions. Yeah, and then uh, they fuck. <laughs> they have um, sex. And, and then we get this really awkward exchange the next day where uh, he's like, I love you. And she's like, no, she says it first. She's like, I love you. And he's like, I love you. Awkward pause. It, this is like awkward on the level of like Star Wars prequels. They have no chemistry. This is like Anakin Skywalker and Padme, like, saying, I love you. No, I love you. (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you, Trevor. It has no fucking place in this movie. This is a movie about pornography. Let's be explicit here. This is a movie about (laughs) pornography and not, like, fun pornography. This is dark pornography. There's no room for this. I love you, sweetie. There's no... We don't need it. Yeah, uh, I mean... Like like you said, there there is a directing problem in this film because Catherine Keener is a very good actress, and Nick Cage is an Oscar winning actor, <laughs> um, and be. both of them seem to have no feelings for each other whatsoever in this film. <laughs> it's very awkward every time they're talking to each other. Um, so yeah, uh, as Kyle had said, uh, this is about the time that we get the call uh, from what the uh, the Christian estate, I believe. Sure. Uh, the representative's name is Mr. Longdale, played by a Mr. Anthony Heald, who is, of course, 100% trustworthy. My, <laughs> he's my favorite weasel behind Polly Shore. Uh, oh, Anthony yeah. Heald uh, is just like, he's going to turn. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you yeah, see no, him. As, as soon as you see him on screen, you're just like, oh, well, he's a rat. <laughs> it's like, fuck that guy. <laughs> In fact, Nick Cage should have probably just, like, walked in the room and just, like, turned around and be like, nah, <laughs> like, I'm good, Thank- thanks, mm. no, I'm good. So, yeah, he goes to the mansion, and they're in the um, the dead man's uh, study, his little office. This is by far, I think, my most favorite rich guy office. 
it doesn't look like there's any windows in there all dark furniture I love the leather couches this is my dream study like this is this is what I want um, I, I really <laughs> really liked his study but she gives him the spiel like look you're a private investigator probably referred um, he just died not too long ago we busted into his safe just to find like there's some money some bonds and stuff and he's like and I found this 8 millimeter print of um, a snuff film and they're like we've already watched it I want you to view it um, and we want to know if the girl actually dies in the film and yeah. he's like, I'll take a look at it. It's uh, they, like he said that you see a little bit of what's going on um, there. In the show True Detective, uh, child pornography comes up in there. It's uh, it's pretty dark that first season of True Detective. But at one point, Woody Harrelson has to watch one of these things, oh. and it his reaction to watching it. It's so funny. Like it's, it's just it's not how you'd react to watching something like that. He's he's overplaying like, "Oh, oh no. Oh no." Like he's just screaming and Matthew McConaughey's not watching it. He's just got his back turned smoking a cigarette while he watches it. It it's really funny. So Nick Cage is watching this. It seemed a bit more realistic than Woody Harrelson's in True Detective. I, this this scene was interesting because in concept, like in theory, uh, the things that they're trying to do here, I get it. Like, mm-hmm. And and there there are some some clever tricks here that they they do that I, I will give the film praise for. Um, a lot of it has to do with sound, and in this case, uh, this whole sequence plays out with a uh, no sound other than the projector mm-hmm. reel, um, and it's there's there's no music or anything. Uh, so we just have Nick Cage sitting in a private theater watching this film. Uh, it's of course like shot on eight millimeter and looks like garbage. <laughs> um, yeah. Like one of the one of the cardinal sins that this this sequence commits though is a uh, the the very first instance of, of of violence or anything snuff related in this film that we see is a, a gentleman in a leather gimp outfit like leather gimp mask uh, striking this young girl. And he whiffs so bad. I noticed it too. It's bad. I was like, "Oh, dude!" Like and I see pro too. wrestling better than that, dude. He flinches <laughs> too. He's like, "Oh gosh!" That was yeah, a good and, and Cage's reaction is so overblown. Like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Oh god! But it's like whiff. <laughs> it completely misses. Interesting casting here. The girl that's in the film, I believe, is not actually an actress. Um, from what I understand, she was, I think. I want to say a stripper, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Joel Schumacher also um, cast Brad Renfro for the client, and he was actually like just living in a trailer with his grandmother. Like he wasn't an actor. Um, He actually picked him because he's like, I want somebody to feel like they're actually from the like I think he's from Tennessee, and I think that's where the film was supposed to take place. Um, Yeah, uh, the Marianne Matthews was originally a stripper hired to act as a stand-in, and then he gave her the part of the victim, as she had a suitably haunted look about her. Um, yeah. <sighs> See, that that's one of those things that seems like a, a director quirk that, again, on paper, I get it, mm-hmm. but there are certain things you need to take into, into account when casting a film, and part of that is the ability to emote and deliver a scene and carry a scene, and Marianne Matthews, all, all of her di- uh, diary audio, her voiceover is fucking atrocious yeah <laughs> i was like yeah i i didn't know that she isn't an actress but 
Confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Brad Renfro, though, that worked out. That worked, well, <laughs> no, not really. Um, maybe well, for the movie. Of. Not in, not in okay. the long run. Yeah, not in the long run, but <laughs> at the time. <laughs> he worked out at the time. Yeah, so the Nick Cage watches the film. Um, he, we get lots of, ooh, ah. <laughs> like, like, oh. like, he's jerking around in his seat. He's overreacting to things. He's He is trying to sell the scene, but... Uh, actually, the editing is part of what killed it for me. Is it? It's it's too snippy, snappy. Yeah. Like we we keep cutting back and forth between like fragments of the screen, and then his reactions and him overreacting, and the energy wasn't right. I feel like what it should have been is either show us none of the film or show us all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just imagine like like a like a, a pulled back shot of Nick Cage that slowly zooms in and we just see his face just like grimacing and by the time by the time the film runs out like we're just like nothing but Cage's face mm-hmm. and he's just a wreck but no it's it's like cut 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 mm. well and it, it gets a little jarring and a little obnoxious at some point and he says well he, he comes out and he's like listen I don't know if she's dead and the lady's like well we need, she's like, well, we need to call the police and give this to the police so they can figure it out. And there's a white, there's a rich white man's reputation on the line here, so that's just not going to happen. So <laughs> we, spare no expense. Seriously, uh, she's like, I don't want to do that. So he's like, okay, fine, I'll treat it as a missing persons case. I think that's illegal. Like, if you suspect that um, you've just watched somebody die on film and you don't turn it in, I'm pretty sure you're an accomplice to murder. So I think you have to turn that in. Uh, I would think yes. Um, so he he accepts it. Um, like money is not going to be an issue. Um, that's another thing is that he mentions uh, that we should make a good amount of money on my next um, uh, on this next job, and she's like, we don't need more money. He's like, well, your father thinks seems to think so. So it seems like they're kind of in a financial bind. It doesn't look like they're hurting for money, but they're not really doing well. Dude, that that house is two stories. It's in a nice neighborhood. Yeah, um, but either they they pick the wrong location to express the fact that money is a concern, or somebody dropped the ball here. And also, it looked like she had a, a work desk of some sort in the house. Like, he, they're, I think they're both. Maybe she's home. the classic movie occupation of like architect or something. It would have been funny if uh, she just drops him off at the airport, like because that's all she does in um, Captain Phillips. She drops off Tom Hanks at the airport. Uh, that's it. That's all she does the whole time. <laughs> um, so yeah. So we, I, I was actually thinking, so we're, we're on to the case. That's my next note. But I'm like, this could have been um, almost a noir, like a narrated uh, noir. He could have been like, so now I had to go to Cleveland to look up for missing persons. And then I had to go to, oh, no, Los Angeles, the jungle. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think it would have been out of place. Um, it would have given the, the film maybe a bit more energy. I think the biggest sin that this film commits is uh, not allowing Cage to be Cage until the last, like, 25 minutes. Like, he's so dialed back throughout the whole movie that it's it's distracting. I feel like... I feel like he's doing, like, that Ryan Gosling thing where it's like he's he's a robot observing humanity and, like, pretending to be a normal person. Because, <laughs> seriously, he has so many emotional exchanges with people that are completely one-sided where they're just throwing all this energy at him and he's just like... Well, that's nice. Uh, he cool. feed, he, <laughs> he's an energy vampire. He feeds off of that. Like, think about. I love the National Treasure movie. I, I think that movie's a lot of fun. Oh, it's it's good fun. Both of them actually. They're both yeah. They're both a lot of fun. They're, they're both dumb fun. 
Um, he needs, yeah, he needs to, he needs to let, he needs to release that energy into his performance. And yeah, he doesn't get to do that until the very end. And even still, yeah. um, I'll, we'll get to it later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it needs to be said that when Cage is packing up his car to head out to Cleveland, uh, he, he brings his pistol with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Walther. So a, he's got a James Bond gun. That's exactly what I was thinking. I think it's a <laughs> he's got a nickel plated Walther and, uh, the wife is like, are you, "Why are you bringing that?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, it, it just—it just makes me feel like like a big man. Like it's—it's it's just a thing I like to have with me." But um, we get this goofy shot right before he hops in the car, where he he puts the gun in his trunk, mm-hmm. and then the camera like tilts down to look at the trunk as he's well, you, as he's exiting the frame, and then we like fade out, and all of a sudden we're in Cleveland. It's like, whoa! Apparently the yeah. trunk was important. Need to be reminded he has that gun, which he doesn't actually use until an hour later maybe two hours later <laughs> yeah so he he goes to is it a police station he goes to um to see if he can find if she's a missing person because this yes is, th- this is like pre good internet so it's moving super duper slow and uh, we do joaquin phoenix does reference the internet at some point in the movie but yes this is this is pre good internet this is this is dial-up days it's just like a step above micro fashish. This is this is when you would uh you would actually use those those AOL like fifty free minutes yeah. cards you'd get in the mail. <laughs> so he um, but yeah, he, he goes to work rooting through the missing persons reports. Um this is when we get our first introduction of this Persian slash Arabesque music that starts that permeates the majority of the runtime of the film. Well, I think that the uh, my theory of why he used that weird kind of music because yeah, it doesn't really fit here. But he, as Joaquin Phoenix says, he's like you're stepping into a different world. Like this is what you're getting into is like underground pornography. Like this is a this is a nasty, like this is a nasty world that you're not familiar with. And when he goes to Los Angeles, especially when he's looking for her on the streets, that music is playing. And I think that's I think that's kind of what it's supposed to be because it's it's. Um, it sounds Middle Eastern, like some kind of Middle Eastern music. Very much so. Um, um, I think he's supposed it, to get the idea that he's out of his element, like he's not, he's in a different different kind of world or subculture, I guess. Yeah, it's it's not bad music. No. It, it, it does stand out as being unusual. Um, also needs to be said that I feel like, uh, like African slash Arab chanting was really in vogue in the late 90s. Um, I blame the Lion King and... Uh, Hans Zimmer has always had a fascination with that anyway. Like, even uh, even his score for The Rain Man had that kind of shit. Well, when Poison Ivy makes her entrance in Batman and Robin, that's kind of... It's like dancey... Um, <laughs> that's the best way I can do it. Like, like I said, I feel like it was kind of a thing in the 90s. To, oh my gosh, I just... Lots of human voices uh, just ululating and making noises. But, yeah... Uh, as Nick Cage is rooting through the missing persons records, uh, you get the sense that this ain't going to go anywhere, although, surprise, surprise, it kind of does a little later. Um, but the very first clue that he gets is uh, the film stock itself. Uh, apparently, the film was the film stock used in the production of the 8mm film was... Uh, it's, like, defunct. It's no longer produced, so it gives him, like, a basic time frame to work from no. as to when the film was shot. Um I don't know how useful that information would actually be, but uh, that's what gets the ball rolling for him. Um, and then we get to see he has he has some toys. He man. does. 
He's got holy shit. He's got some stuff. Um, like like in 1999 too. Like, I think he so did. He's got he's got a, a mini DV like handy cam like set up on a rig pointing down. That's at why the they're broke. Frames. I mean, that's why they're broke. He spent all of his money on all this shit. Like <laughs> yeah, like no joke. This stuff. I would imagine back in 1999 it was very expensive. Very. It pro- it's, it's it's expensive today. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he he has a digital camera uh set up on like a like an overhead projector attached to the like a rig with the 8mm film film being fed through it. So he's he's putting each individual frame of the film under a, a digital magnifying glass essentially. And then he also has a printer attached yeah. that like print prints each individual frame on like photo paper. I was like, Jesus fuck, man! <laughs> like, so, I didn't see you put that in the trunk. No. Um. So he gets a picture of the girl from the fo- from the the film, and he goes to the, I guess a library of missing people. <laughs> like he's he's actually looking through physical pictures, just trying to by imagine. hand. And this, I've got a good, I got a crack out of this because he he goes past her I'm like that was her. And then he goes past, and then he keeps pulling he up. He goes, like, six past it's, her. Seriously, it takes him forever to like, find that photo. It's like, how the fuck did he even, like, how did it click then? <laughs> yeah, he, but, yeah, you see her very clearly, and it's like, that's oh, her. that's her. That's her. And then he keeps going, <laughs> and then he pauses, and then he goes back. <laughs> it's like, what uh, the fuck? He, he, so he finds it. It's a, missing, it's a missing person. So he tracks down her mother, and did you notice who was in this, uh, who her neighbor is, uh, lives upstairs? Uh, I did not. How about you tell me? It's Chloe from uh, Fight Club, the lady who oh. looked like Meryl Streep if she was, you know, like thirty pounds less. Basically, yeah, <laughs> I recognized her okay. immediately. I'm like, that's Chloe, and then I had to double check. I'm like, yeah, Chloe from Fight Club. Oh wow! Um, so Funny he's connection. He's talking to the. He, he meets the mom. Um, I've seen her in something else. I don't know. I couldn't figure out where I'd seen her before, but she looked familiar. Um, She's happy to have company, and he tells her, like, listen, I'm I'm investigating something. Um, this is not an extension of the case that's currently open looking for your daughter. So he's like, don't get excited, which is a, that's a really shitty way. Like, I need to go talk to the mom, like, hey, I'm trying to figure something out. We're not going to find out if your daughter is alive or not. Don't worry about that, but <laughs> I'm figuring something else out. And yeah, the way, he, the way he puts it to her is, is cold in the extreme. Yeah. Um, again, like, Nick Cage feels like he's he's an alien or something in this movie half the time like he just doesn't comprehend human emotion or something um a couple things need to be need to be said about this sequence um one you recognize her from rookie of the year <laughs> thank you thank you <laughs> she's she's the mom um two uh nick cage adopts an alias for when he's talking to her and the All name right. he goes by is he introduces himself as Thomas Hart, which happens to be my father's name. <laughs> oh, shit. So Hart. yeah, when uh when I was watching this film, I couldn't help but chuckle to myself. I was like, "Holy shit, Nick Cage is going around telling people he's my dad." That's pretty fucking cool. Thomas Hart. <laughs> yeah, uh, my name's Thomas Hart. I'm looking for your daughter, uh, Mar- Marianne Matthews. I feel like that name is perfect for for his particular brand of pronunciation. Matthews. Mar- Marianne, Marianne Matthews. Um, it's, it's perfect. He snoops around her bedroom a little bit. He's not finding anything. Um, he, he looks around, and then this is funny. He He's just standing in the doorway, and he shuts off the light. I'm like, is he, <laughs> is he like the general's daughter? Is he looking for like a like a hidden room where the light's on or something like that? Like, no, he's just like, so, there's nothing in here. 
Um, there are a lot of shots in this movie that are presented to us in such a fashion as to suggest depth or meaning mm-hmm. that I that I can't find any, and that is one of them. Uh, one, the first one I pointed out was the trunk. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, we're looking at a trunk, well, and yeah, him standing in that doorway for quite a while. There's no like music cue. He doesn't do any like physicality in his acting to suggest that he's feeling anything in that moment. It's just a guy standing in a doorway pausing for a very long time and turning off the lights um also needs to be said this mom is very happy to have company very much she's <laughs> i was sitting there watching i'm like dude i know you're faithful to your wife but have a heart maybe just like sit down have a drink with her like just humor her a little bit smoke some cigarettes yeah. talk with her yeah the next time he goes to see her she's got she got lipstick on oh she's she's, like, she's she's gonna pounce she's oh yeah no she's ready to jump <laughs> but um funny funny detail in this scene to me anyway is uh first of all he walks into the bathroom mm. but we're not given any uh any inkling of the of the geography of the setting so he he's talking to the mom and then he just walks into a scuzzy bathroom that looks like a janitor's closet and i'm like whoa uh, where are we where where is this and she's nowhere to be found um and this whole this whole time when the scene's playing out, I'm like, where are we and what are we doing? I knew exactly and where we were. And then he looks at the scuzzy toilet, which looks like it hasn't been touched in 30 years. I think it might be the only toilet in this house, though, that the mom is still living in. So she's just living in filth by choice, apparently. <laughs> no, this, this is in the garage. and uh, my gr- Is it, though? Yeah, my, gra- my grandpa uh, was a mechanic, and he had a pretty big garage, and he actually had a toilet out there. I'm like, oh, that's his garage. That's their garage toilet. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not uncommon. Um, but I think that it was supposed to be her place where she went and, like, r- wrote in her diary, if I had to assume. It looks like she, like, the, the toilet seat was down, and she'd go out there and, like, dear diary, I'm pissed at mom for slapping me around today. It's weird how he... F- it makes no sense as to why... It's, it's it's very similar to him flipping through the missing persons card, where he walks into the bathroom, it looks like somebody exploded, <laughs> and then didn't do anything about it for 30 years, and then he's about to leave, and then he turns around and just, on a whim, takes the, the lid off the toilet and looks in the water reservoir, mm-hmm. and hey, there's a, there's a diary in a Ziploc bag. It's like, one, who the fuck would think to, le- to look there... And two, who the fuck would think to look there? Yeah. Because, like, not only did the the way the diary is written, you're under the assumption that the mom was expected to have found this. Yeah. And no, of course she wouldn't Absolutely find Absolutely not. That. No one would ever <laughs> find that. Exactly. That would come up, like, they would demolish that place. And like, oh my god, there was a diary in here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he finds a toilet diary. <laughs> and my note here says... Diary demonstrates that Marianne weren't too bright. <laughs> she followed a boy to Hollywood. Well, as soon as he so he reads it and it come to find out, she's like, "Mom, I'm not mad at you for hitting me. It's just I'm gonna leave now. I'm gonna go to Hollywood and be in movies with this other kid. Like we're gonna yeah. go. He's gonna be in. I'm like, you're not. You're not. Gonna, that's not gonna happen. Uh, he's he's not gonna, gonna be in action movies. Oh, and then so he. He doesn't tell her that he has the diary. He takes it with him, and he looks up this kid, like to go find yeah, he's, him. He's he's a bit of a klepto in this movie. Yeah, he gives it back, but he just doesn't. He doesn't <laughs> want to give it to her right now. He's he still, gives he's, it back, but he takes something else. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. He he goes to he goes to the kid's dad, and he's like, "Hey, uh, this is the most 
so I want to talk about this. Nick Cage, when he is lying, he has, he has a very particular way of lying that it seems like it should be so obvious to the person he's talking to, because we, the audience, know from how he's acting that he's lying, but nobody in the movies that he's lying to figure it out, except for Peter Stormare. He picks up on it. He picks up on it, but that scene is, I think, maybe my favorite exchange of dialogue in the movie, mm-hmm. um, when Nick Cage is pretending to be a fan. Just the delivery oh, yeah. is it's, 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 it's so it's insincere. in yeah. a fun way. He, when he's talking yeah. to this kid's dad, he's like he has on a suit like he he looks like a cop. Like he looks even like, his even the type of car he has looks like a cop car. He's like, yeah, I was just looking for him. He's like, I owe him some money, and he's like, well, that's a first. So you can give it to me, and I'll hand it to him. He's like, well, I was gonna mail it to him. What's his address? And he's like, you dumb fuck. He's in jail. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. So he goes to visit him in jail, and wouldn't you know it, Norman fucking Reedus. I said motherfucking Norman Reedus. <laughs> I, literally, I literally, I'm going to show you my note. It says... Fucking Norman Reedus. Fucking Norman Reedus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is being an asshole. Like, I don't like him already, but this is... He's doing a really good job of being not likable. And... Yeah. He's back turned like in Law and Order episode, just like yeah, he's dropping a lot of bitches and dumb, and I don't give a fuck. And uh, he's basically saying yeah, this, like, this is called a, a take take it for a walk scene. <laughs> this is where the director says, okay, Norman, be be as you are and just and just do it. <laughs> let's let's finish up with the Norman Reedus, and then I think we need to talk about George Clooney because we need to we'll, we'll probably okay. need to jump into that pretty soon. So okay. uh, he talks to Norman Reedus, and then he's basically like, I don't know where the fuck she is. Uh, I think he might get a little piece of something to to go off of, but I don't remember what it was. And then he's just like, "Hey, won't you uh, won't you give me one of them smokes?" And I like this. Uh, Nick Cage just drops it on the floor, and I'm like, "Well, that'd be kind of cool if he just leaves it for him to pick up." And then he stomps it out. <laughs> like, "Fuck you! You are a nasty little shit, and you deserve to be in here." <laughs> yeah. Have fun on the Walking Dead, you fuck. <laughs> like what? A decade later. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun working with Troy Duffy, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Jesus. Oh man. Uh, so yeah, now uh, now we go off to Hollywood, pretty much. Yeah. At this point. Um, but not before he calls home for like the sixth time. Yeah. In, well, in like yeah. ten minutes. Yeah. He he yeah, he talks to Catherine. Girl, I gotta go over to this other place. I'll be gone. I'll call you every night. You know. Uh, and 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 then I think he goes back to see Marianne's mom again. He does. He drops off. Like, he he. That's where she's going to make him some dinner, and he's like, no. And she's like, well, I made you a drink. So he takes a sip of the drink. He's like, I need to take a shit. So he goes and... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that, actually, because, like, he's, he delivers... He basically, like, spells it out to her that Marianne's dead. She's dead. But he doesn't actually say it. He puts it to her in the form of a question. Yeah. Like, would you Would you want to know that she lived... Would you rather pretend that she is living a good life somewhere... Or know that she's dead. It's like, yeah. I think she can read behind between the lines, but apparently not. But like, after this this non exchange, he just pauses for a second. He's like, I gotta take a shit. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> he says, I need to go to the bathroom. But <laughs> yeah. just the pause, and then he just yeah. turns around, and goes to the bathroom. Do you remember that Channing Tatum in uh, Twenty One Jump Street? He's in like class, and he's like. He's like, I need to go to the bathroom. He's like, I need to take a dump. <laughs> he just, it's nice to go to the bathroom. That's what it felt like. Just so, 
Like, uh, I need to go to the bathroom. But he sneaks into her room real quick, and he... he I have to return some videotapes. Yeah. <laughs> he, 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 leaves the, um, he leaves the diary for her, and then he takes a picture of her, which is fine. Like, take, take a picture of her. He's looking for her, so a good picture of when she was went missing is uh is nice he doesn't want to use the one from the tape <laughs> probably it's kind of grainy doesn't look very good yeah um but he takes off he leaves her there and he, he goes to hollywood and i i think he just starts he just starts cruising like downtown la just looking looking for um makes la look really scary downtown i didn't think uh i don't think downtown la is this scary but it looks pretty scary yeah, basically he get, he does the whole tour of like every streetwalker of every shape, size, and color, like throughout all sorts of neighborhoods in L.A. And it's just a montage of him driving the scuzzier parts of L.A. Oh, we're gonna get into a Nick Cage with hookers pretty soon. So <laughs> that yes, is coming. Yes. yes, we will get there. Oh, we'll get there. But yeah, the first thing that jumped out at me when we first get to L.A. is the the color grading really changes, like the the texture of the, of the film mm-hmm. changes where everything becomes kind of bronzed and looks like somebody peed on the film yeah have uh, you seen traffic it's not i have not but but it's it's famous for that for it, having that yellowish filter on it it's when you go to mexico they have a, it's specifically um a yellow filter uh there's i mean there's a filter on the rest of the movie i'm pretty sure but mexico it's really really dark it looks mm-hmm. kind of like traffic without the without the mexican filter like there's a yellow filter on the rest of the movie i think though um mm. So yeah, he he cruises around, but then he goes to, um, I think it's supposed to be a, it might be a famous porn shop. I don't know, but it sounded like it was probably an like an actual like adult film store. Probably closed now, if I had to guess. Um, uh, the the name given is just adult bookstore. There's a name. Um, it has a name. The, it has signage. Yeah, it has a sign. I didn't happen to see it. It but was like when Joaquin Phoenix checks him out. He says like, "Thank you for coming to adult bookstore." It's. There's a name on it. I just don't remember what it was. Um, there's a there's a sequel to this movie. Holy shit! What? There is a 2005 sequel, Eight Millimeter Two. What? Yeah, it has um, nobody. No, I don't know a single person from this. Wow. Um, um might yeah. have to look into that at some point. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to see it, but <laughs> okay. That's fascinating, though. The director's never the direct. It's the director of Prom Night and The Covenant. <laughs> sure. Okay. Anyway, so we meet um, we meet Joaquin Phoenix, and I like this whole this whole scene. Uh, I like his. Would you be interested in buying a vibrating vagina today? <laughs> so, oh yeah, no. He he is bright eyed and bushy tailed. He uh, he is making the most of his job as a adult books a purveyor of pornography <laughs> i love his outfit he's just adorable in this movie his outfits man he looks like he's the bassist from orgy or orgy whatever that band was uh or power like 5000 i like that he's like kind of out of shape but yeah like all of his clothing is really tight and revealing <laughs> it's his belly, <laughs> it's, his belly. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of perfect it's so funny uh, yeah great great casting here uh um, yeah yeah, like he—he's our favorite. He's my favorite part. I think you said he's your favorite part of the movie. Um, I think so. Yeah. Although Gandolfini, he kind of steals the couple of scenes he gets. Stormare uh, too. A Stormare. But they're—but they're both in it very little, so it's um, a, a toss-up. So yeah, he—he he buys some stuff and he calls him out. He's like, "What you reading?" And it looks like some kind of smut novel. Um, and he's like, "What are you actually reading?" And like, I don't think you're highlighting, you know pornography and it's he's reading in cold blood um, um 
fun little detail here. That's that's a stupid detail. It's it's an, an IMDb factoid. <laughs> um, the composer of the film, uh, named Michael Dana. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I recognize some films in his uh, filmography. Uh, he did the score for Capote. <laughs> I was gonna say. Um, well, you said that there's a, a Hoffman, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Robert De Niro movie. What was mm-hmm. that called? Directed uh, flawless. by Flawless with uh, Schumacher. Yeah. Interesting. Connections. Yeah, so there's there's a connection there. Connections. Revolutions. Always. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, yes, so yes, yes. He's being followed, we learn, after he leaves the porn store. Um, I think he goes back to his, maybe he goes back to his little hotel for a little bit, and then, uh, ah, go for it. Detail that I need to I need to address, wow. and not sure if we're going to get into Clooney now. But um, oh yeah, I forgot about so that. So Cage buys buys stacks of porn uh, from Joaquin Phoenix, and it's for research. Basically, he's trying to, <laughs> <laughs> it's for research. Damn it! That's the only time anyone's ever bought porn for research, and it's been legit. No, it's for research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joel, I'm I'm going to need to take these home with me. Uh, <laughs> I, I checked it out with the prop master. It, it's no big deal. It's, okay. uh, it's, it's for research, for, oh, for my role. I need to check the authenticity. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, he has these stacks of porn uh, for uh, research because he's trying to practice. I think he's trying to track down like all the porn production companies, mm-hmm. the local ones. Um, so he's just like taking note of addresses and phone numbers and stuff. But while he's doing this, he's sitting in this scuzzy hotel room in his underwear. Uh, in his underwear. And that's why I wanted to point out. Yeah. Um, but he has he has the eight millimeter film just playing on a constant loop. It's like, are you trying to drive yourself nuts? No, no. no. So he's got his head down, buried in porn, and then he has more porn screening in front of him. Dude, it's like <laughs> and Je- it's violent porn. <laughs> it's a snuff film. The only thing like worse to walk into was when they arrested Jeffrey Dahmer. Was <laughs> when they went into his apartment. Like, oh my god, he's boiling somebody right now. Like. <laughs> He's got porn everywhere, and he's watching the snuff film for crying out loud. And then he offered me some cookies. <laughs> but uh, let's we should talk about war, wardrobe. Wardrobe is what I wanted to comment on. Oh, okay. Um, so Cage has a Tom Jane Punisher shirt on. Yes, it's a black tank top with like wide shoulders, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it has no sleeves. It's homemade, I and, think. Yeah, I think it is homemade I think it's because homemade. I, I've never seen one of these for purchase. But um, they don't sell. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like maybe there was there was something in his contract that like required him to not have any sleeves on any of his shirts. It's no like, sleeves because he he has the shirt on in many scenes in this film, and it's very distracting because I keep thinking of Tom Jane Punisher, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it doesn't look appropriate. Yeah, because most of the time he's like running around in a leather jacket. It's like, ew! You've got like no sleeves on, and you're wearing a leather jacket. When he's doing you're research, gonna get all, you're gonna get all sticky and shit on your forearms. When, when he's doing research, he needs to just have the tie loosened a little bit, not sitting in his tidy whiteies Indian style, smoking cigarettes, watching porn. Oh um, yeah, and of course he made sure to do some to pound out some push-ups before he did his porn research. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you got you got to look you got to get that pump, you know, when you're doing your research. So, we're about to uh go into the next phase of the movie. Um but before that, I uh, I wanted to mention that I sent Trevor a video uh last night um in preparation for this. Uh 
Uh, there's a show that I like. It's the Graham Norton show, formerly the Graham Norton Effect. It's been on for a long time. Irish uh, host, I believe he is gay as well. Uh, he has a. It's a funny show where he has uh, celebrities. I don't like celebrity shows. I think they're like the ones where they interview celebrities. I don't give a shit. This is the only one that I can handle. It's a really funny show. And uh, George Clooney was on there, and he was talking about like going to the Comic Con for Batman, and like he's like, I'm the worst Batman there ever was, and like he was talking about working with Joel Schumacher. And he, he he mentions he's just like he was he's mentioning Joel Schumacher's directing style. He says he doesn't just come up to you and talk one on one. What he does is, is he talks through like a bullhorn or some kind of speaker and he tells everybody how to get set and then he gives them, you know, direction for acting and he's like Okay, George, you're angry that your parents are dead and you're going to fight Mr. Freeze. Go! And like, like he just tells them what to think for the scene. Your your parents are dead. It's very sad. Action. Action. <laughs> now, this is, this is, now, I've never heard Joel Schumacher talk. I am assuming that he's overdoing it quite a bit. But yeah, uh, th- yeah. this is I'm George... an exaggeration. This is George Clooney's impression of Joel Schumacher. Yeah, but when I watched it, I was thinking, I'm like, what if he was doing that for this movie? <laughs> it would be such a weird thing to be like out of context that pizza delivery guy comes in like in the back like hey I got some pizzas here. Like uh, I'm just going to drop this off for the set. Okay, everybody's set. All right. Now, Nick, JP, you're it's dark. There's a lot of child pornography around and you're not really affected by it. Go. Like like the guy in the boy, what the fuck are you guys doing? Here, just take take the money, get out of here. We're, we're filming a movie. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> if you ever hear us putting on a certain affectation throughout this, getting it, putting ourselves in the shoes of Mr. Schumacher, it's not a direct <laughs> in- interpretation of. It's not a direct representation of Joel Schumacher. It, there's a degree of separation in the form of George Clooney's impression of him. This is George Clooney's Joel Schumacher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, for future reference, we're not doing this to be bigoted or no, offensive. No. This is just us doing a funny voice because yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. um, so, go ahead. So, yeah, uh, while he's a. Uh, sitting around in his tom jane punisher shirt uh he gets like phone call number 72 from the wife yeah um but this time he blows her off uh so it's like ooh, it's supposed to signal that he's getting in too deep yeah it's starting to rub off on him um the big revelation in this scene is that uh through repeated viewings of the smut film he notices that uh there's a third man in the invo- involved in the shooting of the film and yeah. i could barely fucking make this out but yeah. i guess i hadn't watched the film three thousand times or whatever what does that but matter, yeah apparently though? there's like the back of some dude's head in a mirror or something in, in like one frame of the film who cares yeah uh, and this is about the time that he recruits uh max california yep jp walking phoenix uh to be his his sidekick um and my my reaction to this was why like he just has a good feeling about the porn shop guy. <laughs> well, he, he asks him. He's like, "I'm looking for some, like, I'm looking for something, and I need to find like porn that I can't buy here." And he's like, "Do you know anything about that?" He's like, "I know a little bit. I know some places you could go to. There's a real creepy house with a bunch of Mexican dudes where they sell porn in the basement. We can go." <laughs> that check scene that was out. hilarious, by the way. 
Yeah. We'll get there, but holy shit, that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> the timing of it. It was comical. Yeah, he just, he he gets him to, you know, uh, he's like, how much do you make here? He's like, oh, 400 a week off the books. He's like, I'll give you $500. So he, yeah, <laughs> so he's basically just going to pay him to take him to these underground porn places. And this is when it's like explicitly presented to us that yes, there is someone watching Nick Cage. Yeah, some some mysterious stranger in a car that we've seen at least once before up to this point. But this time we like really get a shot of of a stranger in shadows looking at them from a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, yeah, I think this is. This is what brings us to the the black market montage. We go to three different black markets. Um, yeah. Uh, this sequence is introduced with a really nice crane shot. It's a Dutch angle, like high elevation crane shot that is like tilting down. Uh, it's, it looks like straight out of Silent Hill, actually. Wow. Um, it's just Joaquin Phoenix and Nick Nick Cage walking down an alley, and Nick Cage is a. Uh, in the cage and and uh, JP says to him, uh, "You dance with the devil. The devil don't change. The devil changes you." Mm-hmm. Uh, this came. This comes up many times in the film, but that shot in particular stood out to me because it, it's well executed, and you could tell that a lot of time and uh, effort went into executing it. Um, yeah, the black market number one is the Mexican black market, and <laughs> this made me laugh so hard. I would not have walked in here. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they walk in and there's a bunch of like heavy set, somewhat older Hispanic women sitting around. They're all, everyone in the room is shooting them dirty looks. It looks like a bunny ranch, a little bit of a bunny ranch going on. A little bit. And uh, JP like walks up to this guy who who looks like Danny Trejo and Tom Savini put together, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and he's strapped like he's got he's got at least two handguns on him. And uh, JP just kind of like whispers to him something about peliculas, snuff, snuff. And the guy's like, what? <laughs> He's like, okay. <laughs> and then he says it again, and the guy flips the fuck out and pulls yeah. out his gun on them. <laughs> well, he, he says what kind of porn it is. He's like, it's just like uh, Mexican porn, some other stuff, some bestiality. So we're not even, like, skimming the surface yet. Like, this is still pretty vanilla. Um, yeah, the dude freaks out, and then he's just like... Just... Like, everyone in the room freaks out. And it's like, holy shit, like, overreact much? <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix looks like he would be there. Nicolas Cage does not. So yes. automatically, he's suspect. They're like, I don't know about this guy. He looks like a cop. He looks like a cop the whole time. He kind of does, yeah. If he had been <laughs> if he had been a bit more, like, look, if you're, I'm guessing if you're looking for this stuff, you would be a bit more, like, looking down at your shoes kind of deal, like, kind of a shame. Discreet. Yeah, discreet. <laughs> he's just like, I'm looking for a snuff film. Like, oh, really? Shoot him in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you don't. Come, you don't come right out with that. It's it's like bartering. You gotta like work your way up to it. You know. Um, then we get to he's like, yeah, sorry, man. We have got this other place I can go to. Yeah, black um, market number two. This was where he's like, uh, are you guys cops or anything? Like, fuck you, whatever, Frankie. Fuck you, Frankie. That was pretty funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> fuck it's you, like, Frankie. They, they walk by this guy, and the guy's like, kind of talking in their general direction he's not like being forceful yeah. about it. he's just like saying hey, blah 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 if you're a cop or you got any weapons on you let me know and nick cage just passes him by like three feet and just turns around like hey frankie fuck you fuck you <laughs> um so we go in and you you don't see any any porn or anything but you can see he's like this is where you know he talks he starts talking about child porn basically he's like this is where you're gonna find a lot of this stuff there's some dudes 
you know, browsing around like it's a CD store. A lot, lot of lot of dusters. It says uh, it says kids on one of the yeah. things, and uh, it's it's a dark little dark little place. And he's just it looks like a shitty flea market. It does. It's exactly <laughs> it, it is. It's a flea market. It just it has. It's like very... and and the one guy with the card table in the back looks like he's selling tube socks and porn, yeah. <laughs> or like baseball cards and porn. And he's like, he's like, what, what do you got over here? He's like, hardcore stuff, hard stuff out there. And he's like, what about snuff? And he's like, that's a myth. That, that's yeah. the other thing is that snuff films are supposed to be a myth. Um, and it's more or less just an extension of BDSM where it gets a little bit more violent than that. And it's not actually people dying. It's just fake. So when he's going to a place that has illegal pornography and he's asking for snuff, they're like, no, we're not, we're not giving that to you. I don't trust you at all. Yeah. So we get to the third place. Be- before we get to the third place, go for it. Um, the the scene that closes out Black Market number two is a uh, cage peeks into a back a theater in the back. Oh room, yeah, and there's an old timey. Well, it it's shot to look like it's old timey. I don't know that it actually is, but it's on like black and white, like grainy film stock, <clears throat> and it's like some nurse sticking a enema in some dude. Uh, and then we get slow motion from behind shots of dudes jacking it. Oh yeah! And Nick Nick Cage, like as you said, <laughs> don't react to it. Don't react. <laughs> You're not to affected it. by it. <laughs> he's Action! Gonna, he's gonna have a wig on, sucking <laughs> sucking on him. This guy's gonna be pounding. There's gonna be off. three gentlemen. They're jerking off. It's not horrible. Don't react to it. <laughs> Just action. <laughs> then you see Jack Nicholson. You've seen get, worse. <laughs> then you see Jack Nicholson just walk out and Matt Damon run out the other exit. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> That's what it looks That'd like. That would be pretty great. Uh, so, yeah, the third place. So the uh, this is a very much a BDSM. People yes. in uh, leather, very, you know, very shiny leather. Um, the guy, the really, really tall guy. Um, I think he was from Funny People, the doctor. He is. He, that's exactly yeah. who he is. I'm like, he's got to be from something else. Um, I recognize him. Like, oh, yeah, that's the guy from Funny People, the one they're, they're teasing. Awful movie. He, um, he looks like they even say it in Funny People. He looks a little bit like a skinny Alexander Gudinov yeah. from Die Hard. Yeah, that's what I thought he looked like. Um, um, but he has a fun line here. He's like, it's more fun this way. Yeah. I raise the price, and you get pissed off. <laughs> I think he's one of the uh, he's one of the nihilists from. Uh, yeah, he's the one of the. Yeah, nihilists. yeah, yeah. He's from the Big Lebowski. He's the, That's I right. Fu- and Peter Stormare. Nice. Look at that. Interesting connection. Connection. Revolution. Revolutions. Revolutions. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like the exchange. But he buys. Uh, they buy what they believe to be snuff porn. And I forgot to mention that JP uh, is working in the store because it he had a band. And uh, he came out to L.A. to, you know, get his band going. And he was just working there, you know, to make ends meet. And then band didn't happen, so he's just still working there. Yeah. Um, so he um, they go back to... They get some porn from the tall guy. And they go back to... Uh, Max's uh, apartment, which is littered with stickers. There's so many stickers on his fridge. Like it's it's just way too many. It's very, it's very punk rock. Very um, much. Yeah, but this is this is an attempt at production design. It's like, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Uh, I got a lot of stickers. Let's well, uh, let's make use of those. Well, it's interesting. So, punk had like a, a pop punk had a. a Big explosion there in the 90s, you know, Green Day, Blink-182, and then it was just mainstream for a long time. We're actually in 1998 when this is filmed, so 99, so it's about on its way out. It's it's about yeah. to change a little bit, so he's just like, 
He's like, people just don't want to listen to my music. I'm like, dude, you've got like two years left, so you should like get on it while you still can. Get on it. Get on it, because <laughs> you are about to be obsolete. Max California, uh, you might want to hustle. Yeah. Um, did you happen to catch the name of his band? What was it? I forgot. Hard Spank. Hard Spank. Yeah, it's terrible. No wonder they <laughs> I, didn't like you. I, I noticed he had like a banner in his apartment, and it's called Hard Spank. And he's and a yeah, bait. He's a bassist. They broke up like a year ago. Unless you can slap a bass, that's the most expendable member of a band in just ever. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, um, yeah, so they, they watched some Filipino porn it's, together. It's funny. I like. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole time, uh, Joaquin Phoenix just has his hands. He's got like a cigarette in his hands over his... Like it's a horror movie. He's just like, oh yeah. man, dude. <laughs> and they think it's legit, so they're watching it. And I'm like, yeah, dude, they just killed the fuck out of her. And it, you're like, okay... So they watch another one, and then, like, that's the same girl. And they figure yeah. it out that it's fake. And, like, his his sigh of relief is like, oh, man, that was, whew, that was close. Like, that was a bit too much. Um, and they, they chat a little bit, but there's a, a line here. He's talking to him, and he's about to take, like, um, he's like, what are you, like, hanging out here for? And he's like, I don't know. And he actually, like, like I'm, I'm actually, yeah, you're right. I'm leaving. And he's like, does that, where we were tonight, like, did any of that stuff get you off? And he's like, no. And he's like, oh, what do you say? Uh, it <clears throat> didn't exactly get you turned off either. Like, you didn't have a reaction that somebody with a child, a, you know, straight, like, straight edge kind of dude would have to, like, just seeing child pornography all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. You could have at least called in, like, <laughs> hey, man, there's some dude selling child pornography in an alley uh, off Sunset. So maybe go check that out. Yeah, the idea here is that Cage hasn't shared with JP what it is he's trying to accomplish here. Yeah, he's just paying him and asking him to come along for the ride. But based based on what they know of each other as people, he can assume that Cage is on the up and up, like he's not a horrible person. Um, yeah. And he does have like a disapproving tone whenever he talks about this stuff, so you can, you can tell that he's pretty much not into it, but... Again, that that whole line about the devil changes you, um, that's kind of the theme of where we're going with the story. Yeah. Is that Cage, Cage is getting in too deep, and it's, the shit's starting to rub off on him a bit. Uh, and so when Cage leaves uh, the apartment, um, we get another shot of mysterious stranger person watching him. Yeah. Uh, so just in case you forgot, just in case, <laughs> just need a reminder every twenty minutes or so. Um, so Cage goes to. It's like some sort of uh, shelter, I guess. Uh, it's a church, I think. Uh, and one of the nuns there oh, has yeah. Mar- Marianne's belongings. Why we didn't go here initially, I don't know. Uh, that may have been an editing flub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, I don't know her name, but she's a fantastic actress. Uh, it's this black woman that was... Uh, she played a doctor in uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, really? And, oh, my God. Her, the way she enunciates is is a thing of beauty like i love listening to this woman talk but she only has like two lines in in this movie it's kind of a shame but um anyway he gets a suitcase and he finds uh some phone numbers in her belongings yeah and and a fucking poem about star starlight star bright and it's again delivered in voiceover by this uh non-actress marianne matthews that's a ah it's just not good it's not good like every every instance of voiceover she has in the film is just god awful, but this is how he finds out about uh, a porn studio that uh, she was apparently connected to. 
Yeah, and it's, uh, it's called Celebrity Films. I'm not making I'm not making light of the situation, but it's very I'm assuming what Harvey Weinstein would do. Like it's very very gross what he's like what he's doing. Like he's basically just casting women to be in pornography and I think he's getting action on the side like, "Yeah, I'll put you in this movie, but you got to do this." Like that's the kind of garbage person that James Gandolfini is playing. Yeah, uh celebrity films uh the I guess the owner, or at least the head producer there. I, I don't know how this shit works in the I don't porn know industry, but um, uh, he plays a character by the name of Eddie Poole, Ugh. and he he's apparently the the big cheese at Celebrity Films. And uh, Nick Cage goes in to see him, and in the in like the waiting room, there's a whole bunch of ladies yeah. all dressed up, and they they look like streetwalkers or something, yeah. or people auditioning for a porno, yeah. and uh. Cage just like kind of cuts in line and walks into the office. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of great because like some of the ladies actually call him out. Huh? They're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I've been here all afternoon." He's like, all right, I'll be quick. <laughs> and he is. Yeah, he's quick. Yeah, he confront. Uh, yeah, he confronts James Gandolfini, who's not even paying attention to him. He just comes in like, "What do you want?" Like he's just looking down. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very awkward. Um, and he he just shows him a picture of the girl, and he's like, "Have you seen her before?" And as, and I quote James Gandolfini, just says, you know how much pussy walks through here? I'm like, oh, you're just nasty. Okay. Well, and you can't overlook the fact that he pauses for like a good five seconds before he responds. If, if I mean, if you could get somebody to look at a picture and determine they're guilty from that, that's, that's yeah. admissible, man. Like, if you, yeah. if you see this, like, If it takes you that oh long to recall a face... I've never seen anybody more guilty in my life. <laughs> and it doesn't help that it's Gandolfini with, with these, like, hatchet sideburns. Oh, yeah. It, the, <laughs> the sideburns are really gross. Yeah, those are disgusting sideburns. Um, so, yeah. He, it's like, it wouldn't take much effort to connect to make a beard. But, no, he did that on purpose. He did that on purpose. He tailored that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's like, no, I don't know where. Get the fuck out. And he's like, okay. So Nick Cage sets up camp across the street in, a, I think, a hotel. Uh, but it, you can see right into his office. Um, and Yeah, and the production design in his, his roost is very 7-esque. Mm-hmm. Lots, lots of uh, sun-bleached newspapers lining the walls. And it looks like, it almost looks like a classroom or something. But it 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 has that scuzzy texture to it that, it, it looks very reminiscent of pretty much any David Fincher movie, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, he he's basically got... Now, he didn't tap the phone, but I think, does he have the uh, the old uh, headphones and, like, just aim the laser and hear what somebody He said? did tap the phone, He actually. did tap the phone, okay. He does tap the phone. Uh, he taps the phone, he sets up, like, like we said, a roost to observe him, like, visibly, and... Uh, Nothing really comes of it for a minute, except we do see that uh, Eddie gets a blowy. Uh, so, yeah, we can tell that he's a shit human being, as if we didn't know that already. Yeah. Um, and during this scene, oh, my God, Nick Cage ignores a call from his wife. Yeah. He's getting in too deep, Kyle. The too devil deep. is changing him. Oh, by the we'll way. We'll only be told that, like, three more times. We didn't mention at the top of this, this movie does not hold up. This is not a very good rewatch. Yeah, Kyle and I both, like... Before we started recording, uh, we came clean with each other and admitted that this movie was not as good this time around. No. Because I've seen it a couple of times, and I thought I liked it. And I I actually almost went out to buy a DVD of it because I assumed that it was very watchable. But this time around, I was just kind of bored. 
If you want to see a good uh, something surrounding this kind of subject, watch the first season of True Detective. I think that it does everything so much better. Um, well, I mean, like Zodiac or yeah, any David Fincher movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he. Uh, I think he calls. Does he? No, he doesn't call Peter Stormare yet. So he follows. Uh, no. Yeah. He follows Gandalfine. Yeah, so I like this. So he follows him to the hills, and uh, he's just spying in on him, and it looks like they're about to shoot a porno. Um, the two actors are doing some cocaine, and then, of course, you get Gandolfini rubbing it on his gums, and it was like, coffee and Method. Cig- <laughs> Coke and porn is the coffee and cigarettes for uh, for scumbags, I guess, because uh, he's just, eh, yeah, throwing on the gums. Uh, we, Go ahead. We, we get a shot of full frontal here. Oh, yeah, we get um, some full frontal. Yeah, we get a shot. Um, ass shot. What? Yeah, a- ass shot. Ass shot. Not not enough to necessitate an entire rack. No, but ass shot. Ass shot. <laughs> <laughs> ass shot. Um, we got it in. Yeah, nice. we got it in. Uh, but yeah, it, I thought this was interesting because, like I said, the film touches on some really grimy subject matter, but what's actually displayed on screen. I've seen far edgier in in many other films. Oh yeah. Um, uh, given this, this is like a, a super mainstream film, so stuff like this, <laughs> this to, was in to theaters, it, yeah, yeah. No, this is this is a very mainstream film. Uh, it had a, a big name director and Nicolas Cage. His stock was never higher, as far as I understand. At this yeah. point, it's about um, to it's about to go back up. So, so this was presented to to an, a potential audience that would maybe not be ready for this kind of racy content oh very much yeah so i i get it but it's just kind of interesting that like a lot of the violence is you can tell that it was trimmed a little bit um in in particular there's there's one instance of violence that feels like there's well maybe more than one then um but yeah it's kind of strange to see just full frontal just yeah. one sh- ass shot of it. Ass shot. Like, it, that's that's something that's very rare in American cinema, um, um, and it it was just kind of like, oh, we're doing that. Okay. <laughs> this, was one of, this was one of my favorite. Uh, hey, what are you doing in a movie? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're not expecting it. Because he's just like peeping in the window, and then, hey, and he's like, oh fuck, and. Uh, <laughs> Dude takes off chasing him. I think he throws him into the pool. Probably breaks his legs or breaks. Oh his my leg god! That guy's like reaction to being pushed in the pool just makes me laugh. Oh, it's a funny. He's little... just like he's just like laying flat, like not even trying to help himself up. Ugh. He's just like Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Um, <laughs> he's just like a baby or something. Uh, Nick Cage doesn't doesn't get caught. Uh, he's all good to go. Um, yeah. Then when we get to the next day, this is when we when he calls Eddie. Oh yeah. Um, he... So Cage uh, tries to stir the pot. Yeah. Uh, so he goes back to his roost and he calls James Gandolfini when when he's in his office, and he gives him the whole "I know who you are, I saw what you did" treatment. And the idea here is he's he's gonna try to push Gandolfini to take some sort of action. Yeah. And and it works. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually good acting by James Gandolfini, like because he's being shot from across the 
from uh, from yeah, Nick it's Cage's a it's a voyeuristic angle from a decent distance away. It's I mean it it's it's good acting like he it's legit. He's just like what what are you talking about? You can see it kind of like slowly him start to panic. So he calls. We don't know who it is at this point, but it's Peter from Storm. the voice. You know, <laughs> oh, no no no, um, doing a vaguely oh Russian accent. Oh my god! He's <laughs> uh, so you're being paranoid, and uh, he's like whatever, man. So um, yeah. James Gandolfini wants to call a, an he wants an audience with whoever it is he's speaking with over the phone, um, and apparently this person is on the other side of the country, which we learn because Nick Cage tapped his phone and somehow within twenty seconds was able to get the phone number of the person on the other line, and it belongs to a D Velvet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he he talks to, to Joaquin Phoenix. He's like, "Hey, um, we're gonna have to go to New York now." Um, uh, does he buy him a ticket to New York? Does he pay for it? Uh, yes. Nice. Um, what happens is he he asks Max California JP, uh, does the name D Velvet mean anything to you? Yeah. And of course, JP knows everything about porn. Yeah. Uh, he, he's like, yeah, uh, my buddy Frenchie from New York, no, from LA, uh, is a big fan of Dino Velvet, who is like a auteur of porn. Um. <laughs> Whatever. So knowing that, uh, Nick Cage decides to bring Max California with him out to New York, and and we we hop on a plane, we go out there, and uh, I think at this point Nick Cage they they shack up in a scuzzy hotel because we're not allowed to be anywhere clean in this movie. No, um, and he requests fifty thousand more dollars from Mrs. Christian. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. He has a plan. We're not privy to the plan just yet, but it involves a lot of money. Um, <laughs> so I think he rents some of the dude's pornography, and yes. he notices that, oh, the the large gentleman from the snuff film uh, has a pentagram tattoo on his hand, is also in this wearing the mask. And he's like, that's, that's the same guy. So he wakes up <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix, who adorably is walking in with his sheet around. I'm like, come on, man, I was sleeping. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> And he's like, who's this guy? Who's that? He's like, I don't know. What mach- His name is like Machete. No, yeah. Machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his name is Machine. Um, but when you find out who Machine is, it's such a funny name because he's just a fucking nerd. Uh, yeah. It's kind of perfect. No, it, that's one of the better parts of the movie. It's um, so funny. But yeah, also this uh, exchange of dialogue needs to be noted. Nick Cage is again wearing his Punisher shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, at like three in the morning, and Joaquin is obviously very cold. Yeah. Um, like he, like he said, he's bundled up. He's bundled up. But yeah, uh, no no sleeves. It, it was in the contract. No sleeves. Um, I kind of love the uh, the videos, uh, the Dino Velvet videos. We only catch a few frames here and there. But they all begin with like this like experimental like film student like montage of like yeah. macros of insects and like uh, off air signals from like old television stations and stuff. And this is, welcome to the world of Dino Velvet. <laughs> well, you it, can't... it just comes across as so like wannabe artiste or wannabe auteur filmmaker, but it's so cheap and crappy looking. Well, you can't really advertise like you can't have promotions for videos or your work for porn like in the mainstream. You can't have like oh, and the new trailer for uh, uh, Avengers is coming out. Like you, 
pretty much have to advertise probably at the beginning of each one of your movies. So, yeah, it makes sense. Like, oh, yeah, the, you're getting into the Dino zone. This is very off topic. Well, kind of. But um, have you heard of the Cremaster cycle, Kyle? No. Okay. Um, this is some shit that I have never seen. I've only, like, read about and seen like seen a couple of think piece videos about but something one of my brother's former co-workers told him about uh so these these are like super dark underground films and it's made by a gentleman by the name of matthew barney and it's a it's it's called the cremaster cycle and these are like underground indie like semi-porno movies that are only only screened like once every decade to a select few (laughs) and i've seen some footage from it and i've i've read some summaries of of what actually happens in these films and it just sounds like the hottest garbage you'll ever see gotcha but it's like super pretentious and want to be deep um and that's kind of what what uh, dino velvet stuff reminded me of um, you might want to look into it just because it's fascinating. I don't think I'd ever want to watch those movies because they do sound like garbage. Absolute garbage. Absolute gotcha. garbage. But um, anyway, uh, we get an audience with Dino Velvet. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> the way we get in is pretty funny though. Um, yeah. He, he's like, "Hey, we're here to see Dino." He's like, "Not here." And then Cage just goes. We told him we want to give him a lot of money for something, and like, well, okay, that works. <laughs> and uh, the uh, the buzzer on his uh, his office, like the they have a, a buzz entry system. Uh, the icon is not a name; it's a spider. Yeah, that's like, pretty douchey. Yeah, it's it's a little self indulgent, but uh, I said Dino's office is one part Nine Inch Nails video, one part Marilyn Manson shit. I was gonna say it looks like a Marilyn Manson video is just gonna start in there at any point oh, yeah. uh, no it looks like a goth art installation or something complete with uh, shitty TV monitors playing video loops of like macros of people's mouths and stuff Be- because just weird weird imagery for the sake of weirdness so yeah they, they get um, to they get to oh go ahead oh I was just gonna say this is where uh, Nick Cage has one of his best line deliveries in the whole movie it's terrible um, so the idea here is we quickly piece together that Nick Cage is trying to bait Dino Velvet into making a film for him so he can get all the perpetrators in the same room together, I guess. That's kind of a risky-ass plan, if you ask me, but it's yeah. a plan. Um, so, so Nick Cage, to gain entry to the building, said, I'm here to give you a lot of money. So to emphasize that, he's <laughs> Dino Velvet's like, why are you here? And Nick Cage says to him, oh, you're a genius, Mr. Velvet. A, a goddamn genius! You're you're the only one that still transfers film to video. It, it's the griminess, the grittiness. That I just love it. And, and like he delivers it with that flat of an yeah. affectation to the point that's like, how would anyone believe that? It's not believable, <laughs> and he doesn't believe it. But I kind of I kind of love it though. That just that you're a genius, Mister Velvet. A goddamn genius. <laughs> he's, ne- he's never heard anybody say that. So that's suspect number one. Like, like no, 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 no. I am not a genius. I am gross. Um, he is, uh, yeah, he's getting off the phone. He's like, tell her she's got to do it. Like, we need to get her. I'm like, whatever, dude. It's not that important. He's in, what, a, a, a red Rope. silk bathrobe yeah, or something? Yeah, pretty much. That's exactly what I assumed he would be in. Um, yeah, he's just, he talks to him. He's like, it gives him some money. He's like, I want to. He's like, I have. I'm going to give you money. I'll give you money up front right now. 
and then I'll give you more when it's finished, but I have my stipulations. Um, one, he's like, I want to watch you work. He's like, I want to see you do it. And he's just like, so you can steal my secrets? Your fucking secrets. Um, <laughs> he's like, no. And he's like, okay. And then he's like, what's the other one? He's like, I want the, the machine guy. I want him in there. And he actually, um, Peter Stormare is like, well, oh, really? You're a huge fan. What's your favorite? And JP, you know, does the spiel. That was a cute moment. That was a cute moment where it's like you can tell that Peter Stormare's character Dino Velvet is a uh, suspicious yeah. of some mysterious guy showing up and offering him shit tons of money uh, yeah. for very little reason. Um, but yeah, he he tosses that out there as like a, a check to like, are you fucking with me? Yeah, and I think it was Choke and Devil were the two movies that they mentioned. I don't think as Nick like personal favorites. Yeah, JP says it, but Nick Cage doesn't give him one. He's like, "Oh, there's just too many." Like, you didn't think of one single one. Like, just one. <laughs> well, he the way he phrases it, JP bails him out and says like, "Oh, well, I I happen to like Devil, uh, but but Choke is a close contender." And like Nick Cage Nick Cage is like, "Yeah, yeah. Devil like terrified me as much as it excited me." Jesus. Uh, but I'd be hard-pressed to pick a favorite. It's, yeah. it's like you can tell he doesn't know the fight he's talking about. <laughs> so Stormare, he agrees. He's like, sure, I'll do it. He's like, I'm keeping this, and then whatever, talk to my assistant. <laughs> well, what, what's kind of beautiful about this scene is that the initial offer for this product, for this personally commissioned like hard porno film, is $10,000. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, these are small-time crooks. Um. And then the total ends up being $20,000 with uh, Dino Velvet making some counteroffers. So for $10,000, so like all all this, this this guy's price tag is $10,000. Well, he wants it. After all this bluster. I think he wants him, he wants the film of it. He he just like, I want it for me. Like I don't want on tape, like I want the film of it. Um, He agrees. And then this is where uh, Nick Cage breaks up with J.P., He's like, here, here's some money. Go back. Go do something else. You're better than this. Get out of working in porn. I love you. Just just take off. And JP doesn't want to. You know, he's robbing at this point. He's like, dude, we're a team, man. Like, I'm going to keep going with this shit. I want to watch Machine work, too, you know? Like, I don't, I don't want to leave. But he's like, fuck you. Leave. And um, <laughs> I wasn't lying when I said you were smart. Yeah. Um, um by the way, did you happen to notice the random burning car out front? I did not. So they're in a bar together, and through the window, there's like a car hooked up to a tow truck, and it's on fire. I think <laughs> there was a theme in the '90s, and I think the LA riots had something to do with it. And it's in Predator Two. Like Los Angeles is supposed to be like scary, crazy, violent, like it's fucking yeah, Juarez or something. I get that, but this is New York. I know, but this is this is still filmed in L.A. But I they there was this misconception that in large cities it's just fucking chaos and murder and I, I, I guess I mean we we do get that from this film L.A. in particular um, there's just like vagrants everywhere yeah like every every exterior in L.A. in this film has just vagrants and prostitutes everywhere New York not as much uh, but. I don't. That doesn't explain why there's a burning car in no. front of this bar, and nobody seems to care. Nobody cares. Uh, it was probably just something where, like, I don't know. Maybe the maybe the DP got his way and was like, "I want some fire to light this scene." Damn it! So we get. I actually, this is 
one of my fav- my new favorite movie deaths when we get to it. I realized watching this, um, I won't spoil it just yet, but I was watching, I'm like, it's funny. Like, this is a funny death. Um, it is, it is. So we get to, I guess there's a place to meet. They're going to be like, it's going to be at this warehouse somewhere, like abandoned factory where no one can hear you scream kind of deal. Yeah, um, it's like a waterfront warehouse. Um, it looks like someplace the mob, like literally like he could pull up and the mob just got finished shooting a guy in the back of the head. And like that's... <laughs> <laughs> James Gandolfini was just there doing another movie. Yeah. <laughs> he was filming The yeah, Sopranos just, like right picturing there. him like doing his... <laughs> Heavy set run from set to set. It's like, no, why are you so sweaty, James? I had to glue the sideburns back on. I had to glue them. <laughs> doing some right now. Uh, uh, so yeah, we go in, and this was actually kind of a there was a um, a creepy little moment here. So he walks in, and Peter Stormare is shooting uh, a bow and uh, a crossbow for some fucking reason. He's weird. Yeah, he has a target set up and everything. Uh, and Machine is kind of sitting on the bed. Like, he, he sees him, he comes into frame. And Machine, like, gets up and then, like, comes around the, comes around the corner a little bit, like, concerned. It, it, was, it was, if I was to see that, I would just take off running. Because uh, he's just, like, alerted. By his, like, yeah, most, Machine is a very good element in this film that, uh, I hate to say it, but it's, like, the, the amount of screen time he's given is appropriate. Yeah. But at the same time, I wish there was more, because <clears throat> everything everything about the character just works. Yeah, and yeah, that that first shot we get of him is shot at a decent distance, mm-hmm. and it it feels almost like a from perspective shot for Nick Cage. Yeah, and it's very effective because it's chilling looking yeah. at this guy with with a you know gimp mask on, like, and his posture on the bed is like you said, like he's like a meerkat, like snapping to attention. He doesn't like... look. He looks like he's on alert. Well, I think at this point, Peter Stormare is um, sensing something, and I don't think that Peter Stormare... I don't. I think the machine knows who he is, but Peter Stormare hasn't seen him yet before other than at the office. Um, so we get in there, and they start talking. This is an uncon... Like, you know things are going to go bad. Like, you can just feel the tension in the air. Like, this is not good. Um, oh, yeah. Nick, Nick Cage commissioned in his... Uh in his audience with Dino Velvet, he he commissioned a video where there would be two women, uh, interracial, like I think it was one white woman, one black woman, or something. Yes, yeah. And there are no women in this room. <laughs> There's a man with a crossbow, a table of knives, and a man in a gimp mask. You just walked. I'd be into a little a... concerned. You and just he just wo- like approached me aggressively. <laughs> like, you just walked into your torture. That's what's about to happen. Yeah. Um, you you would you would be a little concerned at this point. Is that oh the girls are running late and then like two seconds later like ah there they are, um, and I believe out walks uh, the weasel. Uh, first, Dino Velvet turns the crossbow on Nick Cage. And asks him to disarm himself. Yeah. Because he's assuming that he has a weapon on him. And he does. He has that Walther on him. Yeah. But he also has a knife. No, he doesn't get the knife. Not, the, not yet. Um, but yeah, he has a pistol. They take it from him. Or Machine takes it from him. And then uh, Eddie and the Weasel show up. Yeah. And by the way, the production design in this room, this is where the uh, shrink-wrapped pillars come yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are pillars in this room. And they're all covered in cellophane <laughs> um i don't know why uh gives it some interesting texture again it looks like blood a goth art installation it and the bl- walls are all painted like looks like they were painted 20 minutes ago with like glossy 
like burgundy Maroon, paint. Yeah. Well, I think they've got the Maroon, saran, yeah. They've got the saran wrap on the pillars because blood gets in there. Like, well, we just painted it. We don't want to get blood on it. Like, <laughs> so would... we, we just painted the walls red. We don't want... Oh, shit, that's more red. Oh, <laughs> like, like, there's already going to be enough blood to clean up. It's like, I don't want to have to repaint every time we do a movie. <laughs> I don't want to have to repaint. This film only costs $10,000. I kill a lot of people in these movies. I so. kill a lot of people. A lot of people. <laughs> a lot uh, of people. So it all goes downhill. Come to find out, Anthony Held has been um, a piece of shit. Uh, yeah, he was the mysterious stranger that has been following Nick Cage from minute one. Yeah. Um... And then we, like, yeah, he's he's trying to find, um, he's basically trying to find out if the girl's dead. The, everything everything's uh, put on the table pretty much. Um, and they, they show him walking things. He takes a picture of his family. He's just like, I want the film back. He puts the the photo in his <laughs> mouth. He he, uh, he pretty much eats the photo. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing ad libbed. <laughs> so the yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so the idea here is uh, Nick Cage is disarmed. He's at their mercy. They have Max California. He's been beaten and is tied up. And they're threatening to kill Max California and potentially Nick Cage's family unless he surrenders the original 8mm film. Yeah. Which he conveniently has in the trunk of his car. Uh, so they send him out uh, to retrieve the film so they can destroy it because it's the only existing copy of it. And once it's gone, then the mystery's gone. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we got a fun moment here where uh, Anthony Heald, uh, Mr. Longdale, is sent out uh, to escort Nick Cage to his car. <laughs> and he, he asks, why do I have to do it? And Peter Stormare is sitting on the on the bed with his crossbow in his lap. He's just like, because I don't like you, Mr. Longdale. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was like, that's, that's kind of the perfect reason. <laughs> that's fair, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they go out. He's trying to get some information from him. Like, it was you. You fucking jerked him off while you watched it, and all. We get a shit. lot of exposition. Here yeah, it's in, in this in this walk to the car. Uh, during the walk to the car, he gets a instead of grabbing it, he doesn't have an extra gun. He just grabs a. It, I guess it's a knife. It looks more like a tool. Like I'm not really sure what it is, but it, it, it's a knife. But it's akin to um. Uh, <laughs> It's akin to Arnold Schwarzenegger's mail order piece of shit from Eraser. If oh, you've ever seen that, I haven't seen that. <laughs> he has he has a belt loop knife, a oh, belt okay. loop knife, and well, uh, James Con calls it a mail order piece of shit. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's concealable, like you can't really see it. And uh, yeah, they go back in and they take the the film. Well, before we go back in, there's one little detail I wanted to throw out here. Also, like I said, there's a lot of exposition in this scene. Um, get basically the plot of the film told to us between yeah. these two going back and forth the idea is mr christian wanted a snuff film so he had mr longdale his aide try to get one one didn't exist so he had mr longdale commission one yeah that's how that's how we got where we're at yeah. um we get a trailer line the trailer line uh in this scene um when anthony healed is holding nick cage at gunpoint out by the car um Nick Cage shouts at him, I'm trying to understand! Yeah, it's... And I, that's the only thing I remember about the promotion for this film, is Nick Cage yelling, I'm trying to understand. And then he get, he gets, like, the first instance of Cagey and acting, acting in here. Um, 
Anthony Hale is explaining to him about the creation of the snuff film, and he says, "Yes, why, why, yeah, <laughs> why?" Yeah, it's it's pretty cagey. Yeah, it, it's it, unfortunately it's only pretty cagey. It's not it's not like full blown cagey, but it, it's it, he touches it for yeah. a moment. He he touches it. Schumacher allowed him to touch it for a moment. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we go back in and uh, some shit goes down. Um, they burn the film. Yeah. Uh, and Max California's throat gets slit. And this was the first instance of violence that I, I suspect was edited for content. Yeah. Because the initial slitting of the throat, there's like o- almost no effect nothing. there. Nothing. There's nothing We there. see it clear as day on screen, but there's like no blood spray, no nothing. It's just no. a sound effect. But then we get a shot of the aftermath where he's like slumped over and there's blood pouring out. Yeah, as you would if you slit yeah, his throat. Yeah, yeah that's what's supposed to But the initial throat slit is very tame for the most part. It should look like um, it should look like uh, Wednesday and Pugsley's uh, play, where it's just like oh, blood spraying everywhere. Bravo! Bravo! <laughs> <laughs> such a good movie. Uh, um, so yeah, so the movie really slows down here after after we get out of this but um yeah we there's so much that happens in this scene so don't, yeah don't you want to talk about your favorite death yeah it just i'm going to say it so nick cage instigates uh anthony like he's like oh yeah didn't he pay you a million dollars for this shit and like what the fuck are you talking about oh did you cut me out of this blah 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 he gets them all riled up basically and get gets anthony hill killed he gets crossbowed um, Anthony Held shoots Peter Stormare, and this was this is a pretty funny death. He's like, uh, uh, oh, not like this. Oh, not, <laughs> gets a, not like this. Not like this. <laughs> like, well, I think this was the same year as The Matrix. Too. How did you? How did you think you were going out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no shit. Like, you make fucking snuff films, did and you, you walk around in a bathrobe every day of your life. Like, did you think you were gonna die mid-sex, uh, ODing on coke or something? I'm like oh, that. He, I rank this one like on the same tier as Danny DeVito and Batman Returns. Oh yeah. Um, Aw shit! I picked the cute one. Is yeah. one of the best death lines ever. This is when a- when he pulls out that umbrella and it's like the, it's like the mobile, like a, a children's mobile with like ducks and like stars on it. Yeah. And he goes, Ah shit! I picked the cute one. I picked the cute one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I'll be yeah. murdering you momentarily. I just need a cool glass of ice water. Ah! <laughs> Penguin pallbearers. Um, the uh, so yeah, uh, Peter Stormare as he's dying, his final words are: "Machine, kill everybody." Yeah, kill them, <laughs> kill, kill them, them all, kill them all. Oh, right before he gets shot, though, um, my favorite line he has in this whole movie, uh, Peter Stormare, is a. Uh, when Nick Cage throws out the one million dollar price tag, and he knows this because he had Mrs. Christian look into Mr. Christian's finances, yeah, and she discovers that there are like multiple accounts that all paid out to a figure that totals to a million dollars. So the idea here is everybody's mad at Anthony Heald because he's fucking Anthony Heald. Of course you're mad at him, yeah, um, because he squirreled away most of that money. Um, you get the you get the sense that. Uh, Eddie and Dino didn't get much of that one million. No, um, but um, Eddie's like, "What? What's he? What's he talking about?" Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Peter Stormare says in response, 
He's saying that Mr. Longdale fucked us, which is so completely and totally bizarre. That's <laughs> 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 just the way he delivers this, which is so completely and totally bizarre. Uh, yeah, he he's he dies, and then Nick Cage is trying to escape, and he knocks over he's, the tray. He's of handcuffed stuff. to the bed, but yeah. Um, machine comes over. Uh, he stabs Machine in the stomach, and then he gets the gun off of the table. Um, James Gandolfini is trying to get a gun from underneath the underneath the car or some shit, and <laughs> Machine he's like, "Take off the mask," and Machine just shakes his head. <laughs> he looks so like a little fun. kid or something. He does. He's just like, "No, I'm not taking it off." <laughs> and uh, uh, Machine yells, "He's only got one bullet!" And uh, Nick Cage shoots his handcuff off, starts running away. He gets to his car. Um, James Gandolfini chases him, shoots at him, doesn't get him, and James Gandolfini gives like a fuck, like God damn it! Now, now, now we're in it. Um, now here's where Nick Cage flies like all over the fucking place. Yeah, um, he he hops two flights within like five minutes of screen time. So Seriously. while he's while he's driving like a fucking crazy person through New York, um, he calls his wife, tells her, "Get the baby, go to your mom's house or something." He goes, "Go uh, to where we went to the Fourth of July, whatever." Yeah, 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 yeah. And she's like asking way too many questions. Like, just just do it. Like the yeah. tone that he's Seriously. telling you to do this in, just fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, just do it. She's like, what are you doing? Are you hurt? Are you okay? She does. When, when he gets to the cabin and she's just like, are you hurt? Are you bleeding? Why didn't you call me? Like, just just stop talking, please. Just not sh- sh- now. <laughs> I think it was... Yes. A, zip it! Zip it! Uh, so, yeah, he he goes to... He, goes he also there. tells the old lady that, uh, that the snuff film was yeah. real. He's like, snuff film was real. It was real. And uh, he's like, and the lawyer's dead. And uh, he he goes to Catherine Keener. He's like, "It's all gonna be okay." Uh, and he's like, got his shirt off, and he's like, "I gotta go finish this or whatever." Oh no no no! I'm sorry. He goes to the widow's house, and the butler's like, "Yeah, dude, she she dead." Yeah, she and, offed herself out of guilt or whatever. Yeah, uh, like you said, old, rich old white man has to die with his secrets. Yeah, uh, um, and she give she instructed the butler to give him two. Envelopes, one with a shit ton of money for Marianne, Ma- Marianne Matthews, his mother. Yeah. And uh, one for Nick Cage uh, yeah. with a note in it that says, Try to forget us. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he, he goes back, uh, takes the money, and she's like, um, When you come back, why might not be here? And it's kind of weird. And he like, hands her the money. He's like, This should be good enough for education, maybe more. And like, are you dumping her? Are you dumping your wife now to go finish this thing? But he, he kind of does have to go finish it. He's like, the machine's fucking crazy. Like, I don't know where these guys are going to stop. Yeah, so. I, again, I don't know what the problem was with the directing of all their scenes together. But her her delivery of, like, well, we're probably not going to be here when you get back. Yeah, she's it's not like, getting it's like it. It's petulant. Like, it doesn't feel... Well, like a wife and husband. He's not explaining anything to her on purpose. He says, like, I just, I'm not, there's things I'm not going to be able to tell you, but she won't let it go. I'm like, would you just please let me finish this <laughs> one job? Stop it. <laughs> oh, man. He, he gives her the money. Then he's like, okay, now he has to go back to California. Yeah. And then we get the, the long sequence. He beats the shit out of um, Tony Soprano. Yeah, he, he ambushes Tony Soprano and uh, pays him back with some mafia kicks of his own. Dude, this took like ten fucking. This whole scene is like ten minutes of the movie, just the with him. It's ridiculous. 
Uh, yeah, this... Are you talking about the crack den? Yeah, well, yeah, he goes to his house, kidnaps him, and then takes him to the den, like, show me where you guys did it. So, uh, so I have some comments about the crack den. Let's say. Okay, so I want the production design of the crack den is, is wonderful. I love it. I love the graffiti. I want the lighting to be as flat as possible. <laughs> I want it to look stagey, like it's on a stage. You don't understand, Nicholas. I don't want the audience to feel anything. Nothing. I want it to be flat. flat. <laughs> Seriously, the, the set design of this clearly had a lot of energy and attention to detail put into it. Uh, it's a burnt out like cracked in house. Yeah. Um, but it, it looks like a fucking set. Like it, it looks like a set. It looks it look, like a stage. It looks fact, like like the lighting of it is way too bright. It's all blown the fuck out. It looks like um, where the geography of it is like wow, they have a lot of they have a lot of square footage in this crack den. It, it looks <laughs> like where all the all the gang members from Colors hang out. Like everybody. <laughs> Just John Cheadle with the boombox blaring right next to his ears. How's he not deaf? Have you seen Colors? I have not. Oh man. That's a great one. That's a good one. We might have to might have to do an episode on that. Might have to put that on the list. But, but yeah, uh, it, just the production design of this really bothered me because it's it's clearly a lovingly designed set, but it's just lit so poorly. Yeah. And the blocking of the scene is non-existent. They just kind of like walk to the center of the room, and then the camera pushes in. And the, James Gandolfini tells us the story of everything that happened. We don't takes, get to see any of it. He no. just tells us a story. It could have easily that that would have been good if they would have gone back through like this is how it happened and then like we get the the sequence. No, we don't do that. Um, apparently, uh, I read that Nick Cage while they were doing the film, he yelled like this is a man. Like the director was like this is a man who knows what he's doing. Apparently, Joel Schumacher didn't film anything extra. He he filmed only what he was going to put into the film. Nothing like well we might do this. I'm not really sure just yet. He like he knew he went in and, and filmed exactly what he wanted and he didn't get like alternate like subplots and stuff like that so i guess nick cage was really happy that it was just a straightforward <laughs> filming there is a method to this madness <laughs> action action <laughs> uh, yeah we get this is the longest scene like he's about to kill gandolfini gandolfini's like tongue in the tip of the gun which i thought was gross um, oh man i feel like every line he had when he was tied up was improvised might have been All, he 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 gets some juicy fucks in here yeah he gets some juicy fucks he calls him a pussy god knows how many times it's like i think this is him like speaking from the heart <laughs> he's 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 really going for it here um so nick cage i love but- i love when the the cord goes around his neck because his reaction isn't like panic or fear it's just, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> like, he's not threatened at all. He, he's like, he's going to kill him, but he's like, I'm just going to leave you here. He's like, I'm going to kill you and just leave you here. He's like, I'm just going to leave you here. So then he goes outside, and he calls the, the, the dead girl's mom, and he's like, she's dead. She died. They killed her. She killed her in a snuff film. Give me permission. Give me permission to kill them. It's really fucking stupid. Um, and he's like, you, tell, tell me you loved her. Tell me you love just, her. just tell me you loved her. <laughs> it's so, it's like, are you sure you're not getting off on this, Nick? So he goes back in and beats uh, Tony Soprano to death. And I think this, I read that this scene was edited down. Like this was supposed to be pretty gruesome, and they're like, it's that, very quick. Yeah, and we don't see any of it. Um. So yeah, we he pistol whips his brain in. By the way, 
Yeah, and then so, he burns down the house, and I love that he he dumps all the porn he's acquired throughout yeah. his journey on top of him, on top of James Gandolfini's corpse before he sets him on fire. I don't know what like, we're trying to say. Take, but... take your garbage back, filthy man. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Nick Cage has flown back again to the East Coast. While he's flying back, another awkward shot of nothing. Um, it's just him staring off into the middle distance on the plane. Just He's supposed to be looking looking like haunted or something yeah but it's just a sustained shot of him alone on a plane going like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's like i don't know what you're trying to communicate to me but sure that's 10 seconds i can't get back yeah um so yeah he he just starts calling hospitals i don't know if this would work like hi i'm a lieutenant did somebody uh come in with an abdominal wound big dude in new york city but yeah He's, <laughs> he's calling all these places, and then finally one lady's like, "Yeah, it's his name is Machine." I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> George. As soon as you hear the name George Anthony Higgins, I'm like, "That's it. That's that's him." Uh, uh, by the by the way, George, and then when he puts on his glasses at the end and mm. his haircut, I was yeah. like, <laughs> "Costanza." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Chris Bauer missed out on the uh, he he auditioned for the role of uh, George Costanza and he missed it so they're like oh let's make fun of him. I mean I wouldn't be surprised but yeah uh, Cage goes out to George uh, aka Machine's home and uh, he has these sunglasses on that are very cyberpunk. They look like uh, remember when Wild Wild West was uh, marketed uh, to yeah, Burger yeah. King and they had the sunglasses. I was yeah. that's what made me think of it was the Wild Wild West sunglasses a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of them, but it's I wouldn't be surprised if they're just from Nick Cage's personal collection. They probably um, were. He's looking Caster Troyish here, very, and he's walking very. in slow motion again because he's got a leather jacket on, and you know you you got to make him look good. Um, but he goes out to Case Machine's place, and mm. turns out that he lives with his very Christian mother. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel like they missed a little bit of an opportunity here. Although we're very late in the film at this point, yeah. so I get why they didn't do it. But um, I was wanting more emphasis put on the fact that Machine is a normal person in his daily life. Yeah. Like, he's hiding in plain sight. Because he lives with his mom. Mom hops on the church bus. Uh, (laughs) and um, They live next door to a cemetery, which felt a little hokey, like a little cheesy. Um, But, yeah, I was was just wanting more of, like, him just, like, being a good son with his mom and, like, having a day job or something and, and, like, the house being normal and appearing, appearing very common. But as soon as he enters the house... Uh, it's not normal. <laughs> um, so Cage infiltrates the home, and he has a silencer for his pistol, by the way. Yeah, uh, he should. Not sure how easy those are to get. They're not. They're damn. not easy to get. <laughs> um, but he enters the house through the basement, which again feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, because you're entering the, the lair of the beast in the scariest room first. Possible, yeah. That's Yeah, yeah you're, you're supposed to work your way up to the creepy basement. But, but no, does he, he not comes even, in through the basement. He's just disregarding all stereotypes. I'm like, he's an old man, an older guy who lives with his mom. Where the fuck do you think he lives? In the basement. Why would you go in through the basement? Yeah, and I just think it would have been kind of neat if he came in, like, through the front door, through, like, the living room window, and it's, like, a normal parlor with, like, 
old old lady knickknacks and stuff where it's like oh this oh. is a normal person's house sure you but can he use goes upstairs and uh we get this weird electro goth music blaring yeah there's a Marilyn then, manson thing going on upstairs <laughs> that's what it sounds um, like we get a fun editing moment here where uh, the record skips as soon as he gets up the stairs. And this was very effective. This is a really good scene. This whole sequence is really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. The whole entering the house scene is actually very good. Um, I like when the record skips and we get this tension building of it. I think the volume slowly goes up as the scene plays out. And then just and it's stops. just him looking for a machine, and he's nowhere to be found. But clearly the, the music stopped, so he's probably aware that someone's in the home. Yeah, so it's, the music stops, <laughs> and I'm like... Why did it stop? I'm like, yeah, dude, this guy is into some sick shit, and he lives with his mom. He knows when someone's coming up the stairs. Like, I gotta jump quick. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably got like a a dumb waiter or something that he jumps down. Just oh, in it was case. down downstairs doing laundry. So, um, so the music when the music stops, you hear it just going. It's just a constant, yeah, yeah, uh, and it's very effective because yeah. it's it it's welcome repetition where it's like that's unsettling as fuck but you he can't stop it because if he does then the then machine will be aware that somebody stopped it so he has to let it play out he goes into machine's room and there's danzig shit danzig, yeah. <laughs> well that's such i think it would have been funny if that music was playing but it wouldn't have fit the scene at all <laughs> like yeah like no knowing schumacher and like he has a type Clearly, he has a type. We've seen the Batman movies, and I'm just thinking, like, he's like, okay, we need some punk music in here, like some punk posters, and then they're like looking at stuff, I'm like, oh, who's that dancing? Because, like, because the, uh, the the Misfits are notorious for being like big dude, like Jack. They're all they don't skip chest day, dude. Like they're all <laughs> like jacked guys. That kind of uh-huh. Misfits, like they're all in like goth makeup and stuff, but they're all like ripped. And he's like. Let's get that. Let's get the Danzig guy. He's, I like what he's got going on there. Um, so yeah, this isn't a very big house either that they're they're working no. with. And um, we've seen Machine's a pretty big dude. Like he's just a little bit taller, I think, than Tony Soprano. Looked like it. Yeah. Yeah. He's a big, he's a big fellow. About as about as thick. Maybe maybe a little less, but um, <clears throat> big guy. Yeah. But um, as Nick Cage exits the room and heads back down the stairs the music starts up again yeah and it's the timing of it's very good where it's like just when you're starting to get settled into the fact that it's like oh he's not up here it's like oh he is yeah and then uh nick cage runs back up the stairs and machine comes running out and he's got his fucking mask on yeah he does <laughs> he comes at he comes at nick cage with a kitchen knife and they uh they wrestle for a bit and this is where things get a little uh schumachery yeah, <laughs> um, they wrestle uh, and they go out the window together. So out the second story window onto the mud down below and the cemetery, and the music starts to get operatic. Like I picked get, up like, on that. Yeah, full full orchestra and like it's it's over the top. Uh, it's it's very out of place and it feels a bit much to say the least. And the fact that we're fighting in a fucking cemetery. <laughs> yeah, Nick Cage gets thrown out the window into the cemetery, and then Machine, weighing about two hundred and sixty pounds, decides to stand on the like an awning of like on there. I'm like, you are you out of your fucking mind? You're that's not holding you up. And he yeah. immediately falls, and then right onto his back. I'm like. He's heavy and he just landed around his back. I'm like, he broke something. I don't believe for a second he's getting up right away. Yeah. 
Actually, that would have been kind of funny if that's how the fight ends. <laughs> <laughs> just knocked the wind oh, oh, my back. <laughs> my legs. I can't feel my legs. Bones popping through it. Oh, it's starting to smell like almonds. Machine. Machine defeated by a roof. Um, but yeah, they, they tussle in the cemetery. Uh, some pretty serious wounds inflicted on both parties. Yeah. I think Nick Cage gets stabbed at one point. Yep. Machine gets pretty fucked up too yeah he gets stabbed or, and maybe shot too i think well you never they beat the shit out of each other yeah it's it, they they go at it um, um there's a great moment here that's disturbing but great uh where machine is on top of nick cage and trying to stab him in the face basically and he's saying some stuff to him mm-hmm. and he's explaining to him that it's like you know there there's no mystery blah 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 blah, blah. i'm the, the one line that really jumped out at me is, do you feel how hard I am right now? <laughs> I did not catch that. <laughs> uh, it's the last line he says before Nick Cage knocks him off. But wow. As, as he's on top of him, he's uh, he's basically explaining, he's basically delivering the Heath Ledger Joker monologue yeah. um, about about stabbing people with knives. <laughs> he's like, the best part of killing people is uh, the surprise that they exhibit when when they're being killed it's creepy yeah it's creepy but do you do you feel how hard i am right now is pretty fucking disturbing when someone's about to stab you (laughs) you can't savor the little details yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah uh nick cage knocks him off and then uh he holds him up at gunpoint while he's on the ground and he tells him take off the mask and this time he complies and Um, no we get the reveal of a chris bauer and his his deep dark just black the blackest eyes yeah. the devil's eyes <laughs> um and uh his receding hairline and then he immediately pulls some glasses out from some mysterious pocket he had on his person that, yeah somehow those aren't broken yeah yeah somehow those aren't broken he puts them on and uh they're the kind of glasses like uh the fella from office space the red stapler guy yeah um make, makes his eyeballs look magnified and uh yeah he says my name's george <laughs> george <laughs> Um. So yeah, this is where Bauer basically explains he's just like, Daddy didn't like he's he's buying time. Uh, he's gonna make a move on Nick Cage, but he he's looking helpless and he's like, This is just how I am. He's like, My dad didn't rape me. My mama didn't beat me. He's like, I just did I do these things because I enjoy them. Like I don't I'm not messed because up because I because I want to <laughs> because I want to. And then I think Nick Cage. How does Nick Cage kill him? Uh. I think he stabs what, him in the heart. Maybe. Yeah, there, there's a stabbing at some point. Oh, I don't gets, even remember. I like, think he that's gets, that's kind of sad. I don't even remember how exactly Machine is killed. I think he gets the gun. He maybe gets the gun and shoots him. I don't know. He dies. I think Machine. I think Machine throws a knife at him, but something happens. Oh Shen- no, no, no! Some shenanigans happen. He throws the knife at him and he hits him, but he also shoots him. So it's like at the same time. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay. So, uh, okay. They. Well, yeah. Long story short, Machine is now dead. Yeah. All the all the conspirators, all the perpetrators are now dead. Uh, so Cage comes home. Yeah. And uh, we get a weird homecoming. Uh, Nick Cage. There's no cake. There's no cake. There's no cake. Um, he 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 hugs Catherine Keener and says, "Save me." It's weird. Which, yeah, he delivers it in that tone where it's like, "Oh, save me." I, yeah. Um. It, again, it's supposed to hold some deeper meaning, I'm guessing. The idea is um, Nick Cage has touched the darkness and needs to be brought back. 
I need to be brought no, back. Nothing of what I've seen of their relationship suggests that she is able or willing to do that for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, the first time I watched this movie, not so much this time, but the first time I watched this movie, I, I kind of misremembered it, the ending as him actually losing his family. I get um, this mixed with the ending of Gothica. See, I haven't seen that one. It's not good. Okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, our film ends with uh, Nick Cage raking some leaves, and uh, the postman comes to their home, and he checks the mail, and he gets a letter from Marianne Matthews' uh, mother, and it's a thank you note saying like, "Thank you for writing me and telling me exactly what happened to my daughter. I'm glad. I'm glad all those fuckers are dead. <laughs> I'll try to use this money for good." I'm gonna quote Rob Corddry from Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, that's fucking admissible. Like that. <laughs> don't write somebody that. Are you out of your mind? Burn yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Like that's <laughs> that's a hot ticket if you're a detective. Like woohoo, got it right here. Why is she writing this to you, huh? Do you have anything to do with that? Sure, sounds like it. Jeez, fucking idiot. So our closing shots are of close-ups of Nick Cage's face and Catherine Keener's face, looking at him through the window again like kyle said i don't think we ever see her leave she leave did. the house she's inside the whole time she is an inside wife yes inside um inside mom um and yeah they just look at each other i have no clue what sort of emotions they're projecting at each other i think they're hopeful i'm not <laughs> sure <laughs> it's there's no hope like there's really not hopeful it's just like okay finish raking the okay, leaves nicholas i want you to look at your wife it's been a long time since you've seen her. Action! Yeah. <laughs> like, it, how am I supposed to feel? Like, am, am I glad to see her? Am, am I like mad at her? Action! <laughs> did you ever just s- do it? <laughs> did you Did you ever see Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? I'm made out of the same material as the evil Bill and Ted. You have to direct <laughs> me what to do. I don't know how to feel. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm drowning out here, Joel. I, I I don't I don't know what to do with the scene. Like you, you told me to look at her. Uh, I, I'm looking at her, but uh, I, I don't know what to do with my face. <laughs> uh, I love it. Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Action. Action. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it. Um, don't watch this movie. It's not very good. It's not. I didn't even enjoy yeah, watching uh, it that much. I mean, we we got a lot of mileage about about like bitching about it, <laughs> but um, yeah. in terms of actual like entertainment value, I was mostly bored. Yeah, it was boring. Yeah, I was mostly bored, and I took a fuck ton of notes, but they're all just like stale, just notes about wh- what happened from scene to scene. Nothing about performances or like clever lines like i only got like a couple quotes in here and they were all just trailer lines and stuff like stuff i remember from the promotion it's just it's just a very flat film it's lacking in character i think is the biggest problem because i've said this before like i'm actually fascinated by joel schumacher as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. because if you look at his filmography it's very diverse like he has tried a lot of he's tried wearing a lot of different hats yeah None, not one of which has ever fit right. No. Um, I think the best quote I ever heard about him is that he is a deeply untalented fame, filmmaker. <laughs> um, and I kind of believe that, but at the same time, he's comp- he's competent to the degree that he can usually make watchable films. 
Saint Elmo's this one fire. just this one just feels like I don't know like like hired gun work. Like yeah. it, it felt a little knee jerky where it's like okay I just fucked up Batman and Robin I got to do something completely opposite of that so I can prove to people that I still have worth that I that I I can do other things. My brother and I got a lot of mileage out of Batman and Robin, so I'll, I, I'm never going to criticize him for those movies. Those movies are stupid fun for me when I was a kid. So I I'm think gonna... I actually enjoy Batman and Robin more than Batman Forever in some ways. I can see that. I, again, because it, Batman and Robin is at least like good-bad in some ways, whereas yeah. Batman Forever... I remember seeing that shit in the theater, and I was a little bit too young. Um, Chase Meridian mm-hmm. was just the worst fucking character for for a boy who was like not quite at puberty like it, nicole kidman and him like it was too shooting, sexual shooting yeah shoot it was too sexual to it the point that i'm like i don't know why they keep having these long conversations it's yeah, very that, boring and distracting where's a, batman that's a problem because you hint at it in the first two batman but yeah and that batman forever it's it's very sexual the fourth, also also batman forever though does have this one plot point that gets overlooked a lot and that's um the conclusion of it where it's like, it's like the first time we've ever seen Batman come to come to terms with being okay with who he is. Yeah. And again, that that's the subtext of having Joel Schumacher, a gay director, in charge of your film. Is uh, this is this is the one time we've ever seen Bruce Wayne actually confront his psychoses and come to terms with them. Yeah. Every other time, it's like, no, Batman going to Batman going to Batman. But in that one. Um, we actually get like verbatim like he he actually has that exchange with the riddler at the end where he's like i'm okay with who i am yeah wink wink oh <laughs> uh, yeah so that's... there are no bat there are no bats in my closet <laughs> that's pretty much it for eight millimeter uh, yeah but... um kind of flat but obviously we got some talking points from it so yeah. it was worthwhile i guess yeah. uh what are we going to be doing? Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans next. Yep, probably that'll probably be next week. Okay, well, join us again next week as we continue with uh, catching up on Cage. Yep. Yeah.